place. It's time to talk. Do you want to wait again? Do you want to wait again? Do you want to wait again? That's a cock threat at this stage, I think. The Neil Prenderville Show on Red FM. I just love cock people. Conversation that matters. Certainly does. The Neil Prenderville Show with Mercedes-Benz Cork. Morning all as we head in to the weekend. Front page of the Echo this morning, as if it would come as any kind of surprise. 14,000 hospitals appointments axed in Cork hospitals in the first nine months of 2023 for all sorts of conditions, all sorts of injuries, all sorts of illnesses, and it's absolutely appalling. So that's 14,000 people had their appointments cancelled when they were hoping that there would be life-changing surgery or intervention, whatever the case may be. It is, as the Echo puts it this morning, a scandal. We also have the front and inside pages um, on the uh, Echo today, and it's only right, too, that the Lord Mayor of Cork, Councillor Kieran McCarthy, should lead the tributes uh, to the passing of John O'Connell, the Managing Director of TW Murray's on Patrick Street because he passed away on Wednesday. Uh, He took over the business from his own dad in 1958. Uh, Seven decades since, it's still a Cork institution although Patrick Street has very much changed. So on the inside pages then they go into detail of the O'Connell's history with regards to um, the shop. Uh, Murray's opened uh, before the famine originally uh, back in the 1820s and boy did it see an awful lot since 1828. So I will come back to this story on a chat with the Lord Mayor Later on this morning, regarding the passing of the late John O'Connell, who incidentally was working away and was doing his thing right up to the age of 87. I'm sorry, I think it might even been older than that, but I will come back to it a little later. 91, actually, was working away to the age of 91. So fair play to him. Sadly, uh, passed away. Uh, and our thoughts are with the family. So more on that a little later on. We talk about it, about history or nostalgia uh, or, or part of, you know, or... I mean, it, 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 it's undoubtedly uh, a fact that in the past we have found um, bomb shelters in the back of gardens on Lee side. Oh, in English, there's a cracking story in the examiner this morning that talks about at least three or four in the past, but they've only gone and found another one in a house out in Douglas. Um, apparently, some landscape gardeners went in and they unearthed what they believe is a, a Second World War era bomb shelter while working in the garden of Jean Walsh's suburban home out in, in Douglas. I'll come back to this entire story and there's some great photographs uh, also on the inside pages of uh, of the examiner this morning of the interior and the exterior and the things that were found inside in this bomb shelter. It always go, goes back to, I guess we're looking at obviously the, the Second World War and the fear at the time that the Luftwaffe might mistake us for mainland Britain. Um, you know, and uh, or indeed, uh, people were taking precautions that Ireland might become a world war uh, target uh, of the Luftwaffe at some stage, and they were building bomb shelters in their back garden. It's a cracking story. I love it. Uh, and from yesterday again, we spoke about this on air, and um, we kind of have an idea now as the amount of money, according to the Independent, that RTE paid out in golden handshakes under the uh, directorship of D Forbes, who was boss throughout all of it. Now she ain't talking, obviously, but the Independent this morning are putting the figure at two point six million in golden handshakes to various executives during D. Forbes' reign as Director General. Um, and one of them, of course, was the uh, payout of 450000 that we heard of. Now, even uh, Mioha Martin is saying uh, that it doesn't sit well 
Tarnished and the Taoiseach are saying that the payoff needs to be reassessed. Not quite sure what that means. They kind of stop short of saying repaid, but others have said it should be repaid. This is the payment to Brida O'Keefe. There's no paperwork for it, according to the Mail this morning. Um, it was uh, presented orally. Uh, to D Forbes, uh, by all accounts, by different people within the organisation, but it doesn't seem as if there's any paper trail. That, that's what I, that's what I'm reading into the mail this morning, which says O'Keefe, but nothing in writing to get the four hundred and fifty thousand euro. So scandal after scandal continues to rock uh, RTE, and those, of course, who are those working hard within it must be absolutely sick. And story after story after story. There's a figure from The Sun this morning saying that we're getting tougher on assessing people who claim asylum in Ireland. Uh, and if you compare the figure uh, with uh, January this year to the same amount uh, the month before, the back end of last year, it shows that there's been a 62% uh, increase. Well, there's been 62% of asylum seeker applications refused in the month. It equates to just under 600 applications. Now, it doesn't mean that anybody actually has to leave Ireland. That's my understanding because in each and every one of those cases you can appeal. And I think to a large extent it it would then deem to be self-deportation, I think. Anyway, the papers also today talk of... I think think we have audio for this. Ivan Yates, do I see it there? It's a a clip, so I'm not going to say much about this, but it's a story that makes the papers this morning uh, from the uh, 6 o'clock show last night. So that would be Virgin, wouldn't it? We would have... uh, Last week, apparently, he's only making the news now. Brian Dowling was on it, as was uh, Sheila Sheoiga, who's an Irishian herself and a beautiful, fluent Irish speaker, and indeed Ivan Yates. And at one stage, they were talking about the Irish language, and Ivan Yates said he couldn't be arsed to learn Irish. And at that stage, Brian Dowling got up, uh, walked across, and shook hands in agreement with uh, Ivan Yates. This is, this is the audio, which I'm actually only hearing for the first time myself as well. Let's have a listen. Obviously, we have to talk to you about Kaitna Gaelga, oh, yeah, Irish language. I feel everyone... Is kind of doing it now. You are Tom Exilum Gelga Arish. Yeah, I think she. Yeah, what? What? Yeah. Are you kind of Gelga? <laughs> I couldn't be asked to learn Irish, and I'm sorry about it. If you're offended, and all this money, we put, all this money we put into it, and there's only sixteen thousand people in the country speak it naturally. See, I'm not I, against it. I know every Ivan. forty seconds a native language dies. Okay. So what? I mean, isn't that such a sad thought? No, absolutely not. So, so I don't strong. accept it. Not I'm going to have this debate with Ivan. No. This is what he does. Do it live. We have time. They just <laughs> only. He just likes to wind people up. Yeah. You must be, though. Stir the in- pot. That's it, wind people up, which is what he does very well. There was a lot of backlash about that, actually, and apparently whatever they had put up on social media had to be taken down because of the backlash from Gwilgori and others as well. I mean, I, years and years ago, hadn't the most positive attitude towards the Irish language, but as I got older, I completely flipped, and I'm a huge fan of it now, and I try and speak it as much as I can. Uh, But it's uh, a clip uh, that makes uh, uh, the papers this morning. Uh, It was made worse by the fact that Brian Dowling, the host, got up and went over and shook Ivan Yates' hand by all accounts. And then talk about faux pas. The front of the sun today has the story on the photograph of a League of Ireland ace who killed a man in a car crash holding up a stop sign in an Instagram post. It was Galway United would be behind it. Behind it there to apologise for posting the tasteless picture of the player Ed McCarthy um, and uh, they um, also had Sophie Ellis Baxter's hit murder and on the dance floor uh, as, the, as the bed to the clip online. Uh, so the fact that unfortunately this player was involved in the death of a man 
while driving a car and admitting to be speeding. Big bad mistake. Papers also talk, talking about young people and students and I know we're in the middle of uh, rag week at the moment but everything's going fine. I mean there was shock and litter on Washington Street. I saw the videos of it but I tell you what, those involved in hygiene and keeping the streets clean on our behalf from Cork City Council do an ace job in the cleanups. But it's interesting, um, they're saying in the English Times this morning that more and more nightclubs, we have few enough of them on Lee side now and indeed in Ireland, but there's a UK company that owns like hundreds of them and got thousands of jobs, but they're closing nightclub after nightclub after nightclub because students are turning to clean living and they're unwilling to go out during the week uh, and it's leading to the closure of nightclubs right across the country. They go on then to, to talk a little bit more detail because not just that, but also in the UK anyway, their um, amount of alcohol consumption is on the decline. So clean living students are being blamed for the closure of uh, nightclubs. There's a lot of other changes in society. Remember yesterday I gave you a list of everything that went in and out of fashion in the 1970s, 80s, 90s, noughties and tenties. Well, we can kind of half update that now because they're now telling us about the stuff that went in and out of favour last year. So in came the likes of uh, disposable e-cigarettes, smartwatches, gin, air fryers and meat substitutes and indeed milk substitutes. You've never seen more oat milk now and almond milk than ever before. And the things that went out recently, the last few years anyway, landline telephones, Swiss rolls. You are joking me. How can you make a trifle without a Swiss roll? There's nothing nicer than sitting down. I'd eat an entire Swiss roll myself. Mind you, can't remember the last. Actually, they're, they're so beautiful, particularly if you go to the deli ones or the bakery ones are extra big with extra cream inside. When was the last time anybody here ate a Swiss roll. Hands up. Actually, throw on your headphones. You? Are you a fan? Um, well, raspberry, raspberry? I, I'm going to ask for a bit of a clarification here because yeah. um, I... You want to know what a Swiss roll is, Millennium well, I, Man, I, is I, it? I, yeah, yeah, it's been so long ago, I can't even imagine. Is, is, it, is it Swiss chocolate? No. Um, Colin, the Caterpillar Cakes or Caterpillar Cakes. Are no, they Swiss, Swiss rolls? Because roll. no, no, no. they kind of aren't. They, no. They're just a chocolate Swiss roll with a yeah, face on it. They, they are, I, I think they are close enough to it, but Pretty to me, they're not... Like, 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 I don't regard donuts as being, you know, the roundy ones that come in all sorts of shape. I don't regard those as being a donut. The donut for me is a submarine with a, sla- with a slash down the oh, top that of it one. with cream and jam. That's so, funny. I don't think of that as, I mean, it's made of donuts, but I think of the donut as the kind of, you know, the classic Homer Simpson pink icing sprinkles I, on top, I'll you accept, know? No, I wouldn't, I'd accept a roundy one with yeah. sugar and a hole in the minute as being a donut as well, but there's so many different... That's the ones, the fillings but, and the, the red velvet ones. And no, I that, don't, that. really, you know, it's, it's not still, me. Yeah, it's kind of donut, though. It's, no, it's, just, it's just the decades that you, you, you associate yeah. with things. Like, you know, I associate a Swiss roll with being a small boy at home in the 1960s But then it says, then it I think that same survey said uh, fish fingers went out in the 1970s. So, like, and they haven't. Like, not at all. They haven't. Like, not at all. We all eat them, don't we? All we? Eat with them. A can of beans. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I think, um, I, I think one of the big things that's come in, or big things that's changed in my generation, is the move away from physical stuff to everything now is online. All your move. Like, I remember when Netflix was a was a, a send away subscription service. Like, you paid for it, and they sent you the DVD, and then you had to post them back the DVD. Well, then you remember Extra Vision and Blockbusters. Oh and yeah, all that kind I of remember. Thing. Like, I, I was, I was saying to you before about we were talking about microtransactions 
transactions. Remember with video games yeah. and, and buying physical, yeah. like going into V, what was that called? Um, I can't even remember the name of it now, the old music store that used to be V... Uh, Golden Discs? No, the other one. The, Virgin Megastore. No, <laughs> well, it was Virgin Megastore, but there's another one. HMV. HMV. And going into HMV and buying like... Vinyl or tapes. Video or games videos. and stuff like that. Funnily enough, we had, a, we had a, a very healthy relationship with Extravision when our kids were small because Extravision were constantly phoning us. <laughs> Okay. Because of fines yeah. on videos Looking that hadn't been returned. Yeah? Remember once we went away with th- on three weeks' holidays with an extra vision video my son had got. And when he was five or six years old. Don't ask me where it was. But eventually, I think we were barred at one stage. I think it was barred at one stage from extra vision. I was told, no, no more, Pat. <laughs> no more. Sick of seeing our DVDs wrapping up the, in your family the fines, the fines are like 80, <laughs> 90, 100 euro. No Jeez. more. And then they did an amnesty. Yeah. And they, they wrote off all of the fines. That was when you know, videos were in decline, yeah. and they were saying, "All of you can, co- all of you that have fines, you can come back. We've wiped your slate clean." Oh, can you explain one thing to me? Why have yeah. digital cameras gone out of fashion? Because it's on your phone. Okay, simple as everything's on right. your phone. Okay. Um, what's coming back though is I've noticed there's a few things coming back. Obviously, vinyls coming back in a big way, which we all know, and Polaroid cameras are coming back. Being able to take a photo and instantly have the physical print out of it that you can stick up on a wall or on a noticeboard. Yeah, but they they're fade. coming back. They fade after a while, but like uh, they, they seem to be kind of in fashion again, you know. What I'd like to come is more and more people putting together photo albums, buying albums yeah. and filling them with pictures, like because you can do. do, like you can, like you can very easily print off digital versions of the photos that you have on your phone, and people like do forget that, like you know, it's put on the cloud. But unless you're willing to pay for the space, yeah, I had to delete a load of stuff on my Google account recently, and like load of old photos that most of them are do. Uh, yeah, get rid of the junk. And, yeah, yeah rubbish. But, but some of it's do- like you call back and you realize, oh, actually, but you don't want to look back in 20 or 30 years and find that you got a massive void in your life and no photographs to show well, that's for that's what I'm saying you don't want a case where your account gets suspended or whatever or the Google shuts down for whatever reason whatever and all those happen. photos are lost you know okay um, so let's find out if people are still eating Swiss rolls um, again uh, I know that you're telling me that in Italy already you have already come across carbonara pizza and, mm. um, and maybe even a lasagna pizza the lasagna one sounds kind of disgusting yeah it sounds one. like a lot I have to say the carbonara pizza is, is there they do bacon bits and an egg fried egg in the middle I'd love it yeah I yeah. love it too and yeah. they do lovely we got it the other day Um, it's I think they called them uh, oh my god the, I think it's pulp, uh, it's gone out of my head anyway basically arancini the Roman version of arancini somebody will know the name of it but they do carbonara carbonara one Italian chef it. is saying that clearly Domino's has declared war on Italy yes <laughs> Have you seen? I don't know if people might have seen this. Have you seen this? The guy who tries to annoy goes to Italy and tries to annoy as many people as possible. Oh. So what he'll do is he'll stand outside St. Mark Square with a whole thing of spaghetti and just break it in half, or <laughs> he'll fold up pizza in on itself and then eat the one pizza as a whole. Get a dig or anything, he, no? he just like you look at the background and the waiter is like the faces. It looks like as in we don't it. use it's processed like, dried. What pasta. is he doing? No, it's like it's like you know in Italy when you cook pasta, you're supposed to cook it as a whole. You're not supposed to snap it in half and you know the way people sometimes it's spaghetti. I do yeah if the pot's too small I'm no right you're not so you're supposed to feed it in slowly and then it comes in and it cuts <laughs> alright there's a great story finally guys in the papers today and it has to do with uh, Paul McCartney's uh, bass guitar uh, he bought it originally in Germany for £30 a Hohner a Hofner guitar and if you listen to Love Me Do boom 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 
Love Me Do features that actual bass guitar. But anyway, Beatles broke up, etc., etc. He started the band Wings. It's 1972. Um, he's, he's in Notting Hill, doing whatever they're doing in Notting Hill with the band. Uh, the roadies outside in the van with all of the gear and the bass guitar gets stolen in 1972. There was a huge big campaign there recently. Much of it started by BBC Radio 4 and a couple of individuals started the trail or the quest to find Paul McCartney's bass guitar and they've only gone and found it. They got like something like 600 different leads like crazy ones saying that it was stolen and it ended up in the, a multi-billionaire's mansion down in Jamaica it actually ended up only maybe a half a mile away from where it was stolen because apparently the story goes that back in Notting Hill in the early 70s it was a different Notting Hill to now there were a lot of squats and there was an awful lot of hippies living there and literally I don't know what, 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 what the maybe the, the roadie got out to have a fag or something or, or go to the loo but left the van I don't know. Anyway, this guy who was living in a squat at the time, a hippie, stole the bass guitar and took it away. It was only a few days later that he subsequently realised, because of media stories, that he had actually stolen Paul McCartney's bass guitar. So it was too hot to handle, apparently. Um, Monumental significance as the years went by. So it was too hot to handle, so he brought it down to his local and he gave it to his landlord and he asked him to look after it from... I don't know whether he told the landlord he sold it or what or anything like that. So that was the end of it. Your hippie never went back for it. The landlord must have forgot about it. The landlord actually brought it home and years later it was discovered by his children and grandchildren up in the attic of the house and that's where it was for 52 years in the attic of the landlord's house. They have now put a value on it. I'd say, I'd say McCartney is over the moon. It's the bass guitar that looks like kind of like a giant violin. If you're a Beatles fan you'll know more about that bass guitar than I ever would but they say uh, that it's now valued at in and around 11 and a half to 12 million euro. Wow. And he bought it for £20. Text or WhatsApp Neil now. 0868 104 106. The Neil Prenderville Show on Red FM. Done a lot of about musical trivia and everything um, and a couple of in- different aspects to that. George Murphy um, from The Rising Suns uh, now uh, rocking and rolling on a great solo career. He'll be playing us out in studio just before midday today and I'll also be giving away five pair of tickets if you're fans of The Floyd. There's a big gig on the 2nd of March at Cork Opera House. It's Breathe the Pink Floyd Experience Dark Side of the Moon uh, live. So it's uh, the Pink Floyd Experience doing a nationwide tour uh, to mark the 50th anniversary of uh, Dark Side of the Moon. We'll have double tickets to give away for that. You can book directly yourself at the Opera House. We'll have double passes to give away just before midday today on that one. And also our fifth and final day of giveaways courtesy of ourselves and the Metropole Hotel. And this has all got to do with the week that was in at Valentine's. And we got some absolutely cracking stories and every single one of them I was so delighted to put on air they were probably the best year we've ever had and we're far from finished incidentally because I was reading this story this morning and I was saying to myself oh my god we got to get Anne on the air because people will absolutely love this story the cheekiness of it all and she joins me by phone Anne good morning Good morning, Neil. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Now, uh, we're going back to, uh, what, like the, the mid-80s, isn't it? The When you came to Cork nursing from Clonmel, County Tipperary. From outside Clonmel, a small village called Tushilin, yeah, yeah. Okay. What, what hospital? <laughs> uh, what hospital? Yeah. 
Okay. And you're seven months into your training, so pick up the story for us as to how you found love in the regional. <laughs> Seven months into my training and I was my next placement um, as a student nurse was on the orthopedic board and um, there in uh, my, my now husband was a patient uh, on the ward um, for the previous kind of four weeks he had had a, a bad car crash and he's he's uh, he'd fractured his his leg so he was in for a, for a good while um, and back then the student nurses um, we did um, night duty placements so I was on nights for about three months, so I got to know him very well. Um, just he was in a room with with like five other lads, and the the crack was mighty, and you know it, it was great. It was great fun back then. It was just a great place to work and everything. So we just got on really well, and we we, we just we just kind of we, we became friends, you know. And um, he was still there, kind of over Christmas and into the New Year and New Year's Eve. I was going out with my best friend, who still is my best friend, surprisingly, <laughs> after all the drama. <laughs> One thing you're missing. One thing you're missing out now is all oh, that's very well. But as all of this was going on and you were having the the crack and what have you, you actually thought he was gorgeous, didn't you? Oh, I did. Yeah. So you, so you fancied the man in the bed, like? <laughs> oh, I did. Yeah, I okay, did. Okay. Okay. I'm just saying, <laughs> right? I didn't know that thing. Yeah, yeah. But okay. I'd say people people obviously guessed. But anyway, we, I, I went along with my friend uh, New Year's Eve. Uh, we were going out with myself and my my friend and her boyfriend at the time, who's now her husband. We were heading out um, to town, and she said to me, "Sure, we'll just, you know, we'll pop in and we'll, we'll wish Damien a happy, happy New Year." So I said, "Okay." So we went into the ward anyway, and next thing, she claims to I said it, but it was definitely she said it. Um, she dropped the bombshell. She said, "Sure, to Damien." She said, "Why didn't you come out with us?" And he hopped up in his crutches. He didn't. He, he didn't need to be asked twice. And off out. The, the, the Wait a second, no. he, like, didn't his, he didn't go out with his crutches in his pajamas, did he? No, 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 no. He was fully dressed. Oh, okay. Dressed. Um, <laughs> out the out out the front door of the hospital. It didn't even dawn on us that you know we shouldn't be doing this. You know, this is probably not something we should be doing. Not hospital um, protocol. <laughs> Not really, like, without telling anybody, we just uh, disappeared, well, into town, and we ended up in Delacey House, and we had a great night. <laughs> and, innocently, we were, like, waiting on Patrick Street for a taxi to just drop him back to the hospital as if it was just going to be okay, you know? And meanwhile, all hell had broken out, uh, like, out of the, in the, in the ward with the, the missing patient, they didn't know where he was, and... Um, I'd say they like there was obviously they, the, the, the staff nurses on the ward obviously knew there was kind of a, something between the two of us because they rang the nurses home at the time the nurses home was a thing you know and rang the nurses home to check was he over there with me and, why was there a, um, was there a habit of student nurses bringing patients back no, to the nurses no 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 as well well I don't I don't know to be honest because I was as innocent as the day is long but anyway I don't know what was going on with other people but, I, did, I, did a lot, I did a lot of discos back in the day student nurses discos let me put it like oh, this. They were, we they were the best fun ever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> Purely innocent uh, now, I don't get me wrong. <laughs> no, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. But, uh, there were three male nurses in my class, and one of the male nurses answered the phone uh, when they rang the nurses home, and fair play to him. He hopped up on his, on his bike, because there's no mobile phones back then, hopped up on his bike, cycled into the patch. I don't know how he thought he'd find us in the city on New Year's Eve, but I don't know, miraculously he found us anyway. And he says, lads, you better get, you better get him back. You know, he made you trouble back in the hospital. So we were, like, we were, oh my God, trying to get a taxi. Maybe it was just impossible. So we, we got him back anyway, eventually. But, hop along, um, Cassidy yeah. out. Hop along, Cassidy out, Dennis Cross. <laughs>
<laughs> Hope the Victoria Road. Yeah, literally oh, we were nearly that stage. <laughs> was uh, getting back, and I'd say the following morning, his consultant came in and. and oh wait a second! Wait, how'd you slip? How'd you sneak him in? <laughs> Well, there was, uh, yeah, well, no, he just walked straight back in, but I'd say he was, he was hung down a quarter when he got back down to the ward. I didn't, I didn't darken the door because I was terrified I'd, um, I'd be kicked out. <laughs> my mother, my late got, mother, God love her, who was a nurse as well, would have, would have just disowned <laughs> me. Okay. What about the next day yeah. and the subsequent days? There, yeah. Any, like, yeah, was the there any... His consultant came in the next day and I'd say he was just marked as, as trouble. <laughs> so he was discharged up to the, or he was transferred up to the orthopedic hospital as was at the time. Actually, that was like, I was in Mongolia. I couldn't, I didn't even know how I was going to get up there, but he was, Damon's mother was so, so nice. So she, he was too hot. You, you, you found him hot, but they found him too hot to handle. <laughs> <laughs> so give him to the orthopedic, give you their problem. Break up this yeah, love exactly. couple. <laughs> but did you, but I, I hear your mum used to drive, your mum used to drive you up to visit him then, is it? His mother, his oh, mother his used, mo- drive, uh, used, used to drive me up. God, yeah, she's, she's, she's left, she's gone as well. God love her, but um, yeah, she was fantastic and she's drives me up to visit her and sure the rest is history we, we're 29 years married this year and we have three beautiful children and yeah <laughs> that's just so, yeah, a great story our story went down, went down I'd say we were talked about in, in the walls of the hospital for a long many years oh my god you're lucky I wasn't on the air back in 87 in Cork I was in Canada because I'd have had a lot of fun if that story broke back then imagine if that happened now student nurses oh my god oh uh, no I, 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 I yes no no Student nurses head to head to the bodega for one of a better place uh, with with a, with, with a patient. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, definitely not. I wouldn't be. It wouldn't be hard to be so that I was that. It was so great. And my first, my very first ward when I was a staff nurse, you can imagine where I was sent to, my very first ward as a staff nurse. I was sent to that ward. And I walked off the corridor the first morning with my tail between my legs because I said they all knew. They all knew me and they all knew. But I don't. <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> well, at least you were kind. You weren't a nurse ratchet type, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> and you and apparently, and you nursed all your life, did you, for many years? Yeah, I'm still nursing. Yeah, yeah. I, I left the UH and um, pre-pandemic. Yeah, I just uh, I, I left pre-pandemic, and I'm in the community now. I'm nursing children in the community. Yeah, so. And also, just as a, a by the way, on a personal level, uh, my daughter, who was a preemie baby, yes. um, do you, yes. you you you, you looked after her. you looked after her, did you? I did, I did. Yeah, and she, yeah in the early, I was uh, I trained to be midwife as well. So in, in the neonatal. In the neonatal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my God! Well, you'd be happy to know yeah. that next month uh, she will celebrate her twenty-eighth uh, birthday. Oh my God! That makes me feel very old. Now, Doesn't you? that make us all feel very old, though? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And thank you very much on behalf of my family and all of the other families who had babies down through the years in the neonatal in the Ernville. Uh, I found yeah, sure, I found yeah. the staff there unbelievable yeah. because because you know with the premi baby you're in and out for yeah. months and months. You almost like become yeah. like a member of staff in there. So what a beautiful yeah. story. Um, I'm delighted to hear. And, and is Damien aware that you're telling this story this morning? He, he is indeed. He's upstairs listening to me at the Marshall. He's working from home. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! Well done, and thanks for sharing. Stay listening. We have a great prize to give away this morning. You just never know. All right. Okay, Neil. Thanks so much. Thanks for Come take care. The Neil Prendival Show on Red FM. Conversation that matters.
Get involved in the conversation. A lovely email in from Anthony says, uh, I met my wife in my last job. She worked in the canteen on the till and uh, part-time cook on a Sunday morning. I didn't have the courage to talk to her, but I always sat there gazing at her. <laughs> I can imagine a guy sitting down at the canteen gazing at a woman behind the tiller and sitting the, behind the bat, the... Uh, the Banbury, she says, gazing on it, and she knew, I knew she was the girl for me, stunning in every way. I didn't have much courage to actually talk to her, just a few comments. But getting my breakfast one morning, being a Sunday, the full fry-up was on. No eggs, but there was boiled eggs, as I always make a sandwich of the entire breakfast. He makes a sandwich of the full Irish. Not a bad idea, I suppose. Uh, so I put it all together, and I cracked the egg into it. Uh, but it splattered everywhere because it wasn't cooked. Back up I went with the plate of food ruined by the one raw egg. Um, we had a laugh about it after about it, and she says, I owe you one. That was my chance. Okay, I said, you owe me one, you owe me a drink for trying to poison me. She said, okay, passed her my number, and on a random Saturday night soon after, I was out with my friends, and I got a text. It said, I'm in the Bailey if you want that drink. Well, I downed that drink fast and ran over, literally. A couple of weeks in, she asked me, would you fancy a trip to y'all to stay in our mobile home? <laughs> I certainly didn't want to say no to that. Uh, skipping to the good part, the next morning she wanted to cook me breakfast to make up for the raw egg. I'm not one to pass up breakfast on a Sunday morning, as long as it's cooked. Halfway through my sandwich uh, I made, I came across this big green patch in the bread. To my shock, there was mould all over it. Lost for words, didn't know what to do. She was apologetic. I finished it. She still says it to this day if I'm a bit wary of something. It's all right, you've had worse. Always referring to those early days. Three kids later, she's come, she's come a long way in the kitchen and we all love her to bits, says Anthony Ahern, about an unnamed wife. Sometimes people forget their partner's names. I'm quite sure that's not something that Kira will do, actually. Let's find out. Kira, good morning. Appreciate you taking the call and thanks for your text. So, um, no everybody, everybody's sh- sharing the most intimate moments all week long. So, we're talking about 13 years ago. It's a bank holiday weekend, I believe. And yourself and your yeah. mother are out on the Raz. Yeah. <laughs> didn't, didn't start that way. You both went out for, like, dinner in Soho. But what happened next? Yeah. Well, we went down to the Long Island then and we had a few cocktails and we were enjoying ourselves, you know. It was a Sunday. It was quiet. It was lovely. And we went to the wash. And we said we go to Reardon's. <laughs> I was giving her the, the show. Did your mother take much was- coaxing? Not at all. She was probably the one that actually uh, uh, put it together in the end. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She loves a good night out. <laughs> okay, so that's a good that's a good way to end the night, Reardon. So there'll be live yeah, music on yeah. there, lots of dancing. You weren't like there was. you weren't refused refused by the doorman, no? You know the way it is no, in Cork. No, absolutely, yeah, absolutely not. No, we flew in the door and not a bother for a change. You've had too much <laughs> walk around the block. Anyway, when you got that's in, go ahead, go go ahead. Yeah, so we were in downstairs and I convinced her to go upstairs. Um, and sure, like, wasn't much convincing really. She said, sure, go on. And um, when we were upstairs, we got a drink and she went to the bathroom and I just put our drinks down on a table and this six foot three fella started walking towards my five foot three, telling me that that was their table. And I Hang on like, a second now, you said, you said this six foot three smart ass. Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> well, he was being very smart. <laughs> That's our table. So did you ever reply for him? 
Um, oh, I did, yeah. I turned around and I was like, I don't see your name on it and I don't see a reservation on it, so... <laughs> There's no one oh, else here, yeah, only yeah, me yeah, and you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. And your apparently, hook. they were all, yeah, exactly. They were all out on the dance floor, apparently. But um, I don't know how it ended up. We stayed talking for the night and we shared a kiss towards the end. Um, but I found out that at the end as well, he was supposed to be there for another girl. <laughs> <laughs> So was the, so so you parted that night, but then fast forward a little bit then to uh, an eighties night in the Savoy. Did did you yeah. go to the Savoy with your mother as well? No, <laughs> I went out with my friends that night. I think we were down in um, was it the Bailey then? And we walked from the Bailey all the way down to the Savoy. It was the longest walk down the city I've ever had. Why were you in fancy? Were you doing the eighties fancy dress thing? Yeah. Oh, I was. No, I was just like the norm, you know, like everyone else. But no, no, he rocks up in a big uh, Mr. Blobby outfit, <laughs> literally blown up. And I didn't know what he was wearing or anything. And it was only um, when we were in the Bailey, he texted me to say he was there. And then I spotted his friends and then I spotted the big pink. Then you f- spotted Mr. Blobby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought I was going to die, but <laughs> everyone loved it anyway. <laughs> I was like, well, it's an impression to make, and it's a lasting impression. Yeah. Does he still make? Does he still make you laugh? Does he still dress up? Incidentally, he, he does. He even tried to put that Mr. Blobby outfit on there one Halloween, but the pump wouldn't work. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he loves this. Every Halloween, he loves it. He goes out with the kids. He was the Mad Hatter another year. He was Trek another year, or not Trek and the Grinch. Any photographs a- of him? Um, not as the Grinch only as Mr. Blobby and I don't know how I found them it was actually on one of the girls that I was out with that night it was on her page I probably have a few Halloween ones somewhere but he's great crack he yeah, loves us yeah, yeah. honestly and I remember one night at home and I got a picture sent to me of him behind the bar in a dress <laughs> yeah yeah Perfect. yeah. there Perfect. was a charity thing on and he got a free drink if he put on the dress sure I don't even think he needed the free drink well, listen you know one of the most important things really is laughter isn't it it really is oh this is it yeah yeah I'd say the, 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 the two kids who were besotted with his with his, his craziness or his, his fun oh, they love his it. silliness they love it yeah. yeah yeah and they have all his outfits now you know they'd be trying to get him to wear it I think he has um, one of the Disney characters one of the Oh, I can't remember his name from Tuso. From Tuso, is it? I couldn't tell you, girl. There's so many of them. Yeah, one of he the. Has th- low, honestly, he has a big army bag full of fancy dresses. One of the things that I have noticed, it's a great story, I love it, but one of the things I have noticed uh, over the last few days is that people talk about how they met their partners, but you're also guilty of it, not sharing their name. Yeah. <laughs> Mr. Mr. Blobby is all I have. What is his name? His name is Jason. All right, okay. All right. Track down a few of those I photographs. I'm kind of afraid. <laughs> if I said his name, everyone will know it's him now. No harm in that. If he makes people laugh, that's what it's all well, about. Oh, yeah. Oh, he'll take it in his trade. Fair play to you. Well, send us some pics if you do track him down. And much obliged. Stay listening. We have a great prize today, courtesy of ourselves in the Metropole Hotel. It's our fifth and final giveaway. Now, for the time I've left, can I just go back to one of the stories from earlier on this morning? It's a cracking story in the examiner this morning. It's own English story where literally a Second World War um, bunker has been found in the back garden of a Douglas house. It's the home uh, of Jean Walsh. And I want to thank Owen English and Dan Lennon for providing us with uh, the contact details and what have you. But Jean, good morning. 
Good morning, Neil. How what, are you? What a great story. We might al- we might almost be neighbours, you and me. But what was going you're on? Only Where... da- you're only down the road, I... so you want to check your garden I'm now. I'm telling you, I have to check. You never know what the Reeves family were doing in the 1800s and 1900s in the land that they had. <laughs> there be anything out there. Bits of pottery came up there recently. But anyway, never mind me. This is your there story. You so you, you were getting yeah. work done in the back garden, was it? Uh, yeah, I was landscaping the garden, kind of making it... Um, maintenance-free, if you like, patios and planting with stones to fill in and, you know, just maintenance-free, literally. And when Aidan and Owen, the landscapers, were going to the second part of the garden, the other side, I told them there was a bomb shelter there, which, you know, Dennis Horgan, do you? I do. I certainly do. He's done a West Cork now, yeah. Yeah, he lives in West Cork, you're right. Uh, I spoke to Dennis the other day. Now, he sold us the house. He was an auctioneer 48 years ago. He bought the house. And um, he was the auctioneer at the time. And funnily enough, the archers who lived here were relatives of his. The archers? Okay, so the house was built in the 20s. The archers... Yeah, the archers were there from the off. They were... Wealthy. Apparently, their father was a former he Lord was. Mayor of London, according to only. Yeah, according to Dennis, the woman was the one with the. The moolah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So she, she obviously, being British, decided maybe they're after me. I don't know what was in her head, but she put in a bomb shelter in the garden. Right. Right. And so, I knew, Dennis doesn't remember telling me when he sold us the house. And my neighbours, Jerry and France, was on this side and Sheila Daly was on the other side. They knew the archers and they knew there was a bomb shelter in the garden. How did the lads so, discover anyway, it then? Um, actually, look, well, yeah, the lads, yeah, yeah, go on. I'll tell you how we knew now. My son, Rory, being a wild little fella, uh, used to shove stuff down an air vent. There was a, an air vent visible from the bomb shelter. Yeah, yeah. But to all the world, it's like a, what you call those? Uh, a, it's like um, a chimney pot. Are they ceramic? Yeah, or what yeah I know what you mean. That would be no, the air no, vent no, down no, into the no. bunker. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah there was a, an air vent, and he used to shove stuff down there. They found a few little footballs that were deflated, you know. Yeah. And, La- um, I, I know Eden is there with you. Just tell him that my lads here are ringing his mobile, so time to answer it. But anyway, so but you know, in all those in all those years, right? Um, your late husband, yeah. yourself, and your late husband Dermot, you, you never thought to investigate, no? No, I didn't because um, the kids used to play football out there and running around, and I didn't really. But now, when Dara died last September, twelve months. I decided to do this project to kind of keep me going yeah. and get something, an interest. Yeah. And then I said to the lads, look, there's an air raid shelter down there. Why don't you dig it <laughs> and we'll have a look? So that's, we, they brought in a little digger, I think, <laughs> oh, Hitchmo. He's from the riding stage. I know them, the Hitchmores. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. Brought, let me ask Aidan about that. So Aidan, you brought in a mini digger and went to work, right? Well, that's exactly, uh, Neil. Well, we, we, first of all, I suppose we were just walking over it and we decided that, or found out that this uh, 
this hole that we were digging was going to go way further than what we thought it would, you know? <laughs> so literally we just brought in and excavated out to see what it was. We thought we were after whether it was going to be Mitch's, another Mitchellstone Caves or what we were after finding. We didn't have a clue what was going to be down there. <laughs> but as uh, the, the further we dug, of course, we were digging up steps and we were... Uh, pulling more and more stuff out of it and I suppose we we, we weren't aware that there was a bump anything down there at all you know So you eventually yeah. then dug the hole deep enough and wide enough to pick out the steps cleared all of that and managed to literally just walk down into the bomb shelter Well then exactly we kind of uh, we were able to we were able to get down there anyway you know it took a bit of a yeah, yeah. what would I say we were a bit apprehensive first because we didn't know what we were going to find down okay. there Neil. Yeah. You, you know what, what, what I mean? did we you find you found a concrete block built two room underground structure Absolutely, yeah. Well, as you can imagine, now going down and just seeing, gee, because the, the steps return, and next we're going, gee, there's a room down here. Christ. And then it's because it's pitch black, obviously, it's underground as we kind of put the lights on and the phone, and you see, we see another doorway, another opening. And uh, This was amazing because it also uh, had, on oh, English and the examiner somebody says, that it had a steel roof on it. What? When, you well, lit, uh, when, you, well, when you lit the phone up, what did you find in there? Um, what I suppose what we found in there was obviously an air vent there that had been covered. Maybe it must be covered years upon years. And I suppose there's uh, they were after popping stuff down there, but uh, over the years, so you don't know how old or how new things are. You know, obviously there's like old deflated football, you know, deflated football. And I said, gee, what's this down here? Or what have you? But as you kind of, there's still maybe another two foot of soil maybe because I was over the tropical rain that we've been having yeah. for the last six months as obviously just eventually probably the straw that broke the camel's back just washed the, washed off the soil down into it. So there's a bit of soil removed. So do you know what? It hasn't unearthed at all. It's secret. Is that, a, really is that a gun you found or is that a toy gun? I will see this is what I'm saying maybe these are like things that over the years maybe 30, 40 years kids toys after yeah, popping, yeah, popping be... uh, some down but they, this this, uh, this wouldn't have been visible at all uh, then, I suppose it must, must be 30 years since no medicine bottle that a doll those, those bottles and stuff must be a lot older then of course you know so you don't you don't know you don't, you don't know it. I, I think it has no unearthed at all it's secret so you're not finished yet then are you know well, I don't know. We, we have to. Have, I was saying to Jean, Jean, we have to at the start. We're after uncovering it. And I was saying, Jean, we better cover this up fast and then start continuing with our walk. <laughs> what what do you intend doing with it, Jean? You wouldn't put a sauna down I, there or rent it out well, as an Airbnb experience, no? <laughs> I, there's a couple of people now, Neil. I could think of throwing down there. All right, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Don't cover um, it up, though. Come on. Well, what I was thinking is, I, you see, it's very intrusive. It's very intrusive. I'm going to. It is put big. A, yeah. uh, oh, um, Aiden wants me to put a copy of the Cork Examiner down there <laughs> for whoever whoever opens it the next time. Oh my God! He said, "What does he call it? A time capsule." We're going to put a copy of the Examiner down for whoever opens it. And we're going to block off the entrance and fill in where the steps were down to it. But we're not going to fill in the actual shelter. So, it won't be, so whatever you do, it won't be accessible, will it? 
it won't be accessible. Right. But whoever buys the house when I'm gone, well, they will know that there's an area... You're going to leave it there for posterity. Yeah. yeah. I presume, Neil, you heard that in Knockray Park, there was one found about... 10 or 15 years ago. Well, I only found that out because it's in the examiner this morning. Yeah, that's right. Knockray Park oh, of the yeah, Douglas. It was, yeah. And that one was built in the 30s. And it was, again, the former British ambassador to India's home, apparently. Didn't know that's that either. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. And then he also would have had probably something in his mind that the bombs could get him. I don't know. They were just they afraid call. that the Luftwaffe would bomb Ireland, I suppose. Yeah, and obviously if it was an Irish person living in this house, they wouldn't have bothered. No, no. I mean, it's an amazing story. Can I ask you, Aidan, is that is that the wackiest thing you've ever come across as a landscaper? Yeah, absolutely, Neil. I mean, we've found cables where there shouldn't be cables. We've found water pipes where there shouldn't be water pipes, but we certainly have never found anything that, like an air raid. What about treasure, though? It. Ever find treasure? I don't know. If we keep on digging, we might find your communion money down there, Neil. <laughs> Wise guy. <laughs> Listen, it's a great, great story. And thank you both for sharing it. Brighten up our day. Look after yourself, Gene. And well done, Aidan. Fair play, the landscaper. Much obliged. Take care. Gene Walsh and Aidan Carroll. Great story. Back after 10, text 0868104106. The Neil Prenderville Show on Red FM. Conversation that matters. Calls on the way, lots of emails and texts. I just want to mention something to you that will be happening in a few weeks' time at the Cane up in UCC. I don't know whether you've seen uh, The Farthest, the Emmy-winning documentary by the Irish director uh, Emer Reynolds. Uh, if you haven't, there is an opportunity for you to see it. Now, The Farthest talks about Voyager, Voyager 1 and Voyager 2, these two tiny little crafts that were sent up into space back in 1977, two little space probes uh, that could talk back to Earth and send pictures and send, uh, uh, you know, signals back as it went along. Well, extraordinarily, they continue on their way. Um, And it's the story of both of those. Voyager 1 at this stage now was the first human-made object to actually leave our solar system. It's like something like 12 billion miles away and it continues to truck on. Now it's leaving our solar system that's going right into deep, deep space at this stage and it will keep on going. And the extraordinary thing about Voyager and the farthest, the documentary, is that when there is no more mankind, when we as a species are gone and every single sign of our lives here on Earth are gone and wiped off and the Earth planet has moved on to do different things, Voyager will still be going in deep space for millions, perhaps billions of years. And on it, of course, is the golden record. You might remember that in 1977, uh, they got a gold record and they laid down audio of everything from Earth, people's voices from all over the world and everything with music, Chuck Berry, the Beatles and things like that. And that's on board with a record player and a needle and a stylus. I mean, it's the most incredible, incredible story. It's... um. It's it's an Emmy winner, and I watched it again uh, last Friday night because I'm I'm hosting a Q and A after a showing of the farthest in the Cane at UCC. Now, all you need to know is this is a free event. So you'll get to see the show, big screen event, and then a Q and A between myself. Uh, and Ema Reynolds, the documentary. Now, I'm mentioning this because I've put it up on my Instagram page. 
and it'll be there all day but later this afternoon it will disappear um, uh, but I want to tell you about it now while it's still up on my Instagram because you can get yourself a ticket for the show and I've put the post up on my Instagram and there's a link there as well to Eventbrite you go on to Eventbrite and you kick, click on it and you get yourself a ticket and you go along and join us on the evening if you're interested I guarantee you if you haven't seen the documentary it's a mind blower it really and truly is an incredible production in so many different ways. I'll talk more about it as we get closer to the event, but I'm just marking your card now that the free tickets are available. They're up on eventbrite.com, but it's much easier to go to my Instagram and just click on the link there and get yourself a ticket. Um, because this will, this will, they're, they're not for sale, they're, they're free tickets, but it will, as the fellow says, this will sell out and it'll sell out quite quickly. So I'm mentioning it this morning to give you that opportunity. Calls, texts and emails, pick up the phone on 0818104106 after the break. Call Neil now. 0818104 106. The Neil Prenderville Show on Red FM. Uh, just very, very quickly, we have uh, an eyewitness account of a very serious accident uh, where the South Link meets the Elysian, so the city end of the South Link. June, good morning. You came across it. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Just to um, just to let people know, just to avoid that road, um, because I think the ambulance is going to be there quite a while. There's you know, pa- paramedics attending to somebody at the scene. Um, do you? Do you? Exactly. And there's a lot of ambulance there and a lot of uh, um, uh, emergency personnel. So avoid it. Yes. Uh, was it two? Was it a two car incident? Do you think, or do you know? Yes. Well, what I what I saw there is definitely two, maybe more. But um, I had to kind of get out of the way straight away. You know, I know it's disturbing to come across something like that. But people should avoid yeah. it for now. Thank you, June. You're very kind. No, no problem. We say that, and paramedics are are attending to somebody at the moment, and I hope that they will be okay. You know, we talk and and you know we talk about you know a bomb shelter and what are you going to do with a bomb shelter? You know, you could turn it into a sauna or a jacuzzi, or you could put a like a you know um, maybe a a little quiet room down there or rented out as Facebook, as, a, as Airbnb. That's only a jupey joke because, you know, things go from bad to worse. Thank you, Laura, for getting in touch. I didn't do this um, yesterday, uh, but she did send me photographs as well. She says, I'm part of a Facebook group for room and house rentals in Cork. And I have to tell you, it is absolutely disgusting what people think they can charge uh, for a bed, never mind a room. I've attached for you, so have a look at the latest one that came up the other night. If this rate per bed and they're getting this rate per bed, it means they're getting €1,395 for this small room alone every month. Even if you knock the bills off uh, for the bunk beds, they still will pull in 1200 for this room a month, says Laura. You are right. It is absolutely disgusting. It's only for girls. You'll be sharing with two other girls. You'll have your own single bed because the other two beds the two girls are in our bunk beds, a lower and an upper. Um, and then they talk about the rent, which is €465 Euro per month. Um, it doesn't include uh, bills, uh, but it does include garbage and gas bill. Uh, so it works out at €465 Euro per bed. But the photograph of the room, I mean, this room is so small that you'd, all you do in there is you'd put a bed in there. But they managed to put in a single bed on one side of the room and a double bed on the other and then there's maybe a four foot gap between the two I mean it's appalling that people can actually get away and charge this kind of money why in the name of God somebody thinks it's okay to put a bunk bed as in two bunks and a single bed into the one room and put three girls into it when really that should be rented as a room to one person but that's the world we're living in now that's the way we are with three girls inside in the one room and the rent roll on it €1,395 for this room alone because of the three girls per month. 
I mean, it's absolutely sickening. Uh, and, you know, we talk about people's struggles and what have you. And I spoke earlier in the week, uh, midweek, about delivery drivers and what they have to put up with and the amount of money they earn or don't earn. Interesting text came in on that. One of the big changes now with regards to this kind of work, Neil, is that they are subbing out work and there are ringleaders involved in it. You will find now that there will be a crew boss here for a number of years who's subbing out the work to the new arrivals who can't afford a bike. So they're taking a cut then off each delivery. That's why it's as low as one euro per delivery in Dublin. It's happening here as well. The new guys normally have no choice. They have no permit so they have to work under a crew boss. Isn't that interesting, the way people can uh, exploit everything? Delivery drivers are having their bikes robbed and then they can't work. It's awful what's happening to them. There have been attacks here in Cork a few times. You asked about tipping. People won't tip because of the price of the delivery. For example, from a restaurant in Douglas delivered to Grange, so directly behind where the Pinecroft Bar is, is up to €4 Euro plus a service fee cap of 249. So that can be as high as 6 euro 50 per order just for a delivery. It's scandalous. Others then have been asking questions as to whether or not they pay tax the delivery drivers. I'm quite sure on what they earn there'd be very little tax, but whether they pay it or not is down to themselves, isn't that the way it is? According to Cork Bio, Cork food delivery drivers are also going to go on strike in the future because of pay and conditions. So thank you for those. Um, and then massive response to uh, electric vehicles. And I will do some of those now and come back to more later. EV owners should also beware. Some insurance companies are now reluctant to insure EVs because one crash and the vehicle is a write-off because of battery damage. That's interesting. In fact, that's a point that I'll put to Paul Kavanagh from um, uh, McCarthy Insurance Group in a few minutes' time. What about the cost to the environment of all of the mining of the cobalt and the zinc and all of the other products that are required to make these car batteries. Nobody talks about that. It's much worse than a petrol engine and what it will do to the environment. EVs are nothing short of a scam. Morning, there are 25 electric buses that Eamon Ryan bought. Are they in use yet? I heard there was a problem with the charging points. You're right, there was, and I don't believe they are. Um, Regarding electric vehicles, we are, as per usual, getting ahead of ourselves in this regard with the government setting targets that they will not meet. It's typically the the cart before the horse scenario. As we all know, you have to crawl before you can walk. Moving to full EV, in my view, is a mistake. What should be done is transitioning from diesel and petrol to hybrid first, And eventually, when we have the proper infrastructure, we can possibly then consider moving to EV, says Councillor Paddy Janine. Well, you can't put the genie back in the bottle on this one with regards to the amount of people that are buying electric cars. In relation to electric, I've just finished reading an article which stated for an electric car to be carbon neutral with an equivalent diesel model in the production process, the electric car would have to travel approximately 70,000 kilometres. But the average lifespan of the battery is 80,000 kilometres. So in reality, the electric car will never produce less emissions than the diesel equivalent. It won't be on the road long enough. Electric cars will work when we have cheap, fast charging points and lots of them. And one more. Um, my God, you gave me an awful fright there about batteries in cars. I just got onto the garage where I bought my one new in 2022. They told me there's a warranty for 10 years in the battery and it will last for 15 years. It's a Toyota Yaris petrol hybrid automatic, says Dermot. Well, it's all about sharing the news and sharing the information um, because we did have quite a negative 
uh, viewpoint to electric vehicles on the air yesterday morning. But can I move then to uh, another motor-related, motoring-related story? Because this is something that we dealt with on the air back in the day. And it goes back to June of, uh, I think maybe even earlier, but April actually of 2022 when Eva was involved in, um, she calls it a tip in McCroom. So Eva, good morning. Good morning. Um, what w- was it a tip? I mean, there was like substantial damage done to the car. But anyway, just recap on the crash. So anyway, uh, we were t- making turn, and um, the guy that was in opposite line, he decided to reverse and hit us into the driver door, and make a hole like damaged. And um, by that time, I. It was a French guy, so we go to, through the insurance. Yeah, okay. Was he a tourist? Or was, it, was he a tourist or what? He was tourist. Yes, yeah. he was with okay. French, French guy with his car. Like, okay. and, and did his insurance? Did his insurance pay out? Everything worked out in that regard, did it? Um, now it is because thanks to Paul. Uh, for from McCartney Insurance Company, but until uh, five months ago, um, it it didn't happen anything. Like you know. Okay, and so the French was guy was in the wrong. Guards were called, and they said that it was the French right. guy's fault. There was two and a half thousand euro worth of damage done to your car. You that's had to right. pay the first two hundred and fifty. Your insurance company paid the rest. But when it came to renewal, the subsequent June, yeah. what happened? Uh, they just put claim on my policy and I paid 1,500 euro my policy <laughs> and I was ringing them and all the time I was ringing them and sending them mails asking about claim and everything else. They said, oh, no worries. It's all getting so slow, but it will get there. No worries. But then uh, I after, after I review my policy, I get a letter from um, Alliance that they um, research my case and that they see that I have a claim on my policy about accident that happened in France. <laughs> it didn't happen in France, Not, it happened in McCroom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So next thing what I did, I um, I know Mick uh, Mulkey and yeah. I ring him and I ask him, can you help me with it? And he said, "You look, I will give you Neil Prendeville number so you contact him and yeah. 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 then you connect me with Paul. So they, when you renewed, were looking for 1,500 euro for the renewal of the insurance. They said that you had an accident in France, which you didn't. But That's why right. would they do that when you weren't at fault and the French tourists insurance covered it? I don't know. To be honest, Paul probably have more information about it. Let me bring in Paul Kavanagh of uh, McCarthy Insurance Group because they thankfully took up the case on our behalf and your behalf as well. Paul, good morning. Good morning. Okay, so that makes no sense to me. Was there clearly confusion? I mean, when when you contacted me at the time and I spoke to Mick Mulcahy as well about trying to uh, get a feel of exactly what happened uh, and I think we had a bit of a laugh at the time we said I think McCroom is now in France which would be great I'm sure the people in McCroom would be delighted with that with French but berries and d- jumping on baguettes yeah <laughs> well they could try it couldn't they you know in fairness they've, they've got their bypass and down there now so they might as well do that but look I mean we, we, I think the first thing we had to do when you asked me to get involved I could I could see that there was 
there was gaps in the story and there was problems with with Eva, as there is with a lot of people who come to this country. They don't understand the system and they take things for, you know, when somebody says something to them, they take it for granted that that is what the law is or that's the way we do things. My wife is always saying that about me. She says, you're so gullible, you'd believe anything. (laughs) But anyway, so (laughs) don't feel too bad, Eva. I'm as bad as you. Go on. Yeah. Okay, so, yeah, so, okay, like, I mean, I met this business a long time. When I heard the story, I went, okay, let's talk to Eva, let's meet Eva, let's find out exactly. And as we we delved through her paperwork and through her emails, in fairness, she was emailing, but, I mean, uh, as she correctly says, they thought McCroom was in the accident happened in France, blah, blah. Anyway, we got to the bottom of it. The fact of the matter is that Eva was hit by... A, a, a French insured car and the guardie came and Eva then assumed and that's the word she assumed everything was going to be looked after because the guard was there the fact of the matter is that's the end of it uh, as regards the guardie they just took the details in, 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 into their book and that's the end of it yep, from yep, their point yep, of view yep, yep. it's a foreign driver there's no follow up on that uh, her insurance company uh, then ha- had, when she contacted them were of the opinion that it happened in France so they were kind of confused as well by the whole thing and I think we unraveled it and found out really what actually happened So what did? Who paid the, the claim? Details. Uh, Eva was paid for the damage by, by, by Alliance in Ireland in fairness under her comprehensive section of her policy, right. which is fine, yeah. and and that's why you should have comprehensive because these things, even if it was an Irish driver, these things happen, and as as Eva's story points out, it can take a lot of time to get to the what really happened, who was the driver, and was she at fault, etc. Eva was totally innocent. So why the very first meeting. why didn't didn't Monsieur Francais insurance pay it? He disappeared. He disappeared. He went back to France and said, uh, you know what I mean? If they want to contact me, they can contact me. And uh, away he went. No one contacted him. Did you get insurance details from him, Eva, at the the scene of the crash? No, hang on. Uh, Sorry, my my apologies. uh, The line broke up. Did you get insurance details when he hit hit your car? Yeah, he actually gave me uh, his policy. I stay, I take picture and I also send that to Garda. But that was the end. And he also gave me uh, his mail address and phone number. So I heard with him. I was uh, texting him next couple months, asking him, is there anything new on this, on his side, you know, story? And he said, no, I didn't get any kind of note or anything. So like... I was so confused, and then I okay. st- and and then I stopped okay. calling Alliance and um, broker company that I was with. I stopped calling them. I would start uh, writing them mails. Nice to meet you. Okay. And I was demanding that they give me uh, answer through okay. mails okay. that they don't call me. Okay. Anyway, pick up the story again, there, Paul. What happened next? Okay. Well, she was obviously Eva was getting nowhere uh, as as it turned out. This French guy was not insured with Allianz, as we first assumed. He was not with Allianz. He was with another French company who have no connection with this country whatsoever. So there was no office that we could speak to uh, in English here in Ireland or even in England that could relate to what had happened. So as far as this man was concerned, his company was handling it, but nobody was handling it. So to be fair, we, we escalated the matter in Allianz 
up the line and said, okay, someone's got to get on this. And once we had the true facts, they were able to establish who the French insurance company were and it all began to make sense. They contacted the French insurance company who then contacted the men in France eventually and, and we got it all done. She got her money back. She got her... Her, her, her excess back as well separately and we've got her, her policy restored and her no claims bonus restored and Eva is a happy woman and uh, you, you know everything is rosy in the garden Well done, a lot of forensic work went into that so Eva's happy What was her, what was her premium before the crash? It was up, I think 12, 1500 or something No, no, before, before, no, before it oh, Before? Yeah I don't know. What was your What was your insurance before the crash, Eva? Uh, so I was a new driver with L plate. Uh, I had thousand four hundred. Oh, it was the thousand four hundred anyway? Yeah. Okay. Because and I was uh, on L plate when I was taking my uh, insurance. Okay. So how much did it go up to after the after the claim? A hundred fifty. That's not bad, Almost. is it? That's not bad, posture. It's not. No, but like no, yeah. but, she, but she was losing. She was losing her no, no claims, claims bonus. bonus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She, yeah, she and wasn't um, for her license, you know what I mean. The, yeah. the whole thing fell into a hole. Is that what somebody would pay now on L plates as a learner driver? Fourteen, fifteen hundred yeah. euro a year. It, 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 you know what I mean. Uh, people coming into the country, it is uh, unfortunately that is the, the the size of the premium. Okay. Anybody on 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 L plates now, and as you probably know, it's another for another day's conversation. Neil, there's so many people on L plates now. A, some of them through no fault of their own, they can't just get a test. Yeah. But then there's other people who are on them permanently for years. And why is that? Because it must have you. You've dealt with it. It must have been fear of a test. Yeah, I know. I know. You know what I mean. I remember, you had that driver who couldn't pass his test. That's right. Numerous, numerous times. You so, can get that. That can happen as well. So you, you know what I mean. Every case has to be looked at differently. The point I wanted to make on it really is that we're, no matter what the business is, we're losing all. The, we we need people to talk to people. When I met Eva, we were able to start out. So there was about three months of all her paperwork. We were able to sort it out immediately to say, no, that's not really, the, we need the true story here. A person talking to a person, and that's the way we work in McCarthy. Are, are, you, are you saying what an awful lot of people are complaining about, that customer service has just left town on the last train and it's impossible to get anything done because no, no one will talk to you anymore? Correct, absolutely, 100%. And that's very frustrating. I'll, I'll talk more about that in a few minutes' time. Eva, I'm so yeah. happy that uh, McCarthy Insurance Group got involved and sorted it out for you, as I'm sure you are too. I am so, so, so happy. Okay. And I hope that we will go on coffee very soon. Have a coffee. And are you going to do your <laughs> test? I I finished. I passed my test um, two months after after first insurance, and then my uh, last policy. When I was uh, claiming, asking about um, other insurance company uh, f- for quote, uh, they offer me seven hundred fifty euro. Well done, you without, yeah. without without a claim, but I had claim, so no one wants to take me to their yeah. policy so job, like, that's the job for Paul Kavanagh we've that sorted no we've that sorted, sorted no <laughs> okay well done delighted thank Everything you thank you so much okay so you owe my coffee well done Eva just before I let you go two questions for you Paul is insurance going yeah. up or is insurance going down ok 
okay. And, and, and when the researcher there, uh, Seamus, put it to me, I had to, I had to think for a minute. It's not really going up. I'll tell you what's happening. About two years ago, May 22, the, the government and the central bank brought in a thing called differential pricing. And at the time, I was totally opposed to it. I said, uh, even on, on, on the show, I said, this is not going to work because the pain will come in two years' time, right, when the second renewal comes up. And what is happening is, if the insurance company, as they are advertising today, oh, come to us and get 20% off, if that 20% is still in position on the second renewal, not your first renewal, the second renewal, if it's still there on the second renewal, it must remain there for life. That's what this differential pricing rule that they brought in says. And I said, sure, but this is very simple. All they're going to do then is knock off that 20% when it comes to the second renewal. And that's why you're seeing people getting prices now escalated by 20% on their second renewal. Yeah, I also heard of a story recently uh, that the BBC were doing, and that was that people were having an off, they were buying their insurance a lot of the time, maybe online and things like that, and uh, ticking all of the boxes. And then it would auto-renew after the end of 12 months for an astronomical amount of money, auto-renew. They couldn't get anybody on the phone. They'd send emails. They'd do all of the things they were told to do. There was no box to click to cancel. And they were, and then one fella then stopped his direct debit and started to get debt collector letters. So that's bad customer service, isn't it? It's awful. It's awful. And I hate it. I mean, I must say that. And even when I go to the supermarket now and you're inclined to go to the, the machine, yeah, we shouldn't be doing that. And it's the same in the banks. We shouldn't be using machines. We should be talking to people. Otherwise, we will lose the personal touch. Well said. Well, you certainly have that at McCarthy's. Now, one final question. Then somebody mentioned in a text there a while ago that insurance companies are slow to touch electric cars. No, that's that's not true. However, I would I, I, I and I've been listening all day to you yesterday. I was in the car and, and and listening about it. And I have a hybrid, right? And somebody said go for a hybrid. I wouldn't recommend a hybrid either because the 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 the, the size of your engine, the size of your petrol tank, is halved at yeah. least. Yeah. And then your battery is only about fifty fifty. I have never plugged it in, Neil. I have never plugged in my hybrid in 12 months. Would you believe that? Why? Because, well, first of all, it's it's about 1,500 to get one of those things put into your house yeah, to, that yeah. you plug it into. And then you get, right? you get you five or six it, back. You don't plug it into go, the wall. No, I mean, and you, will, you will get five or 600 back from the state. Uh, they've reduced that to 300. Oh, sure, that doesn't surprise so, me. So, so Eamon Ryan is at it again. So you, so you don't bother even charging the hybrid because... Um, You'd have to put in the yoke and bob and everything, and you just drive. You drive well, a hybrid. I, char- I, char- I charge up when I'm driving around. Actually, my battery is full as we speak because I was driving, doing a lot of driving yesterday. So my battery is full, and I love driving the electric around town because I'm saying to myself, "Well, I'm not giving off emissions. It's a lovely, smooth drive. It's easier to drive, would you believe, on the electric?" However, like I mean, it's fa- it's a false economy. There's no doubt about it. In my head, it's a false economy. Okay, but the insurance companies aren't kind of wary of crashes. And we've seen the videos of electric cars going up in flames. We're beginning to see that, to be quite honest with you. And insurance companies, make no doubt about it, they will react. If they see this happening, they will react. And the other one that I heard of was was the, the man with the Nissan Leaf. And his, his engine caved in, his battery caved in after a couple of years and they wanted 12, 12,000 
to install a new battery yeah. and I'm kind of all these things we need to research this so that's why we, what you were doing yesterday and this morning on the programme is brilliant okay. that people understand it and don't get sucked in to all this oh you can do 600 miles in a battery because I'm told by the people that, that I'm speaking to on a daily basis that in the cold weather you can't put on the heater if you put on the heater, you're using the battery. Yeah, if you put yeah, on the lights, yeah. you're using the battery. If you and try and put, a, if you try, if you try and um, uh, put on the uh, the windscreen system to demystify the window yes. or whatever yes. the front window, yes, it just. It, yes. I mean, I, I know of one that that um, is supposed to be uh, guaranteeing, or at least it claims sixty four kilometers on a full hybrid charge, and the most that ever registers is forty three. It's insane. There you go. It's insane. Yeah, it is. All right, my man, job well done. It'll take time. Job well done. Thanks for that. Appreciate it as always. Paul Kavanagh with uh, MIG McCarthy Insurance Group. Back after the break. Text or WhatsApp Neil now. 0868-104-106. The Neil Prenderville Show on Red FM. And you can text 0868-104-106. Did I actually really say when you try to demystify the window (laughs) instead of demist the window? People driving around with very suspicious or mysterious windscreens if you're trying to demystify them. I'm sorry. I don't know. I'm I'm ambidextrous when it comes to the English language, I suppose. You know, you talk about customer service. Can I just dwell on this a little bit? Because when I chat with Connor Pope, who's got a new TV show coming out, I was looking at the stats um, for the uh, consumer uh, you know, the stats that were released there recently by the department, you know, we, we have um, places that you can go to complain and one is the CCPC and they uh, have a figure for the first half of 2023 of nearly 19,000 com- queries and complaints. So if you look to the entire of 2023, they could have upwards of 40,000 people talking about faulty goods and services being top of the list. Then I looked a little bit closer as to what exactly is going on um, and still by and large the biggest way that Irish people buy or consume or shop is still in store. But it's not too far ahead of online now. 51% in store, uh, something like 37, 38% online. The rest is by phone and other things like that. Um, but by and large, still in store, but growing all of the time is online. Um, and then the most common consumer queries that we're getting were faulty goods and services, contract performance, deposits, charges, trying to get out and cancel a contract, and then the quality of things. And then when they looked at the different sectors of the business world as to what people were complaining about, it was vehicles and transport, telecommunications, home building improvements, holidays and travel, issues with clothing, footwear and accessories, um, you know, utilities, fuel bills, energy companies, electronics, domestic appliances, things like that, down to furniture and uh, furnishings and things like that. And then the top 10 that people were complaining about, Air was number one, Ryanair, Vodafone, Harvey Norman, Gosh, Curry's, Sky, DID Electrical, Aer Lingus and Electric Ireland. So and an awful lot of people were complaining about things like like holidays and travel and, you know, obviously broadband providers or phone providers or, you know, the likes of Ryanair or, or Sky. And then there were different places where people could actually go to sort out their problem. And in the vast majority of cases, the small claims court. So that was some of the stats I was doing in different areas uh, that people were complaining about. That's why I was very interested to hear the Connor Pope, along with Amy Malloy and Siobhan McGuire, putting together a new television show. Uh, and they're looking to tackle more consumer problems on behalf of the public. And they got in touch with me because they're looking for people in Cork to get involved. And that's why Connor Pope, the Consumer Affairs Correspondent with the Irish Times, joins me by phone. Good morning. Connor, good morning to you. 
Good morning to you, Neil. How are you? I'm, I'm glad to clarify the whole demystifying thing because I actually have an electric car and I was listening to your last segment with great alarm. Uh, and But uh, yeah, I'm glad you sorted that out. Sorry. By the way, sometimes I, word, I sometimes words come out and I don't know where they get them from. But, uh, but we are, we're all guilty of that. We're but all is, guilty is of that. Is that an area that you would touch on, for instance, hybrids and electrics and range and well, promises made by garages and trading in cars and things? Well, 100%. And the really interesting thing about this programme is that like, we're, we're close to the end of the filming of it and we have loads and loads of problems that we have addressed and we've highlighted and we have solved some queries and complaints for, uh, from, from people who've got in touch and others we're hoping to solve it in the days ahead. Um, but you touched on a really interesting point there when you said like the small claims court. I mean, this programme effectively can stand in for the small claims court. I'm not saying obviously we have the same authorities or powers because we absolutely don't, but there are very few channels down which people can travel to get problems resolved in this country and I think that's a really significant problem. So we have people who have come to us with, with issues, for, for like really serious issues and some that are not so serious from all over the country but we haven't had that many who have contacted us from Cork, which is one of the reasons why I'm on the show. Because they, I know come, that, they come to me first, I suppose. They, they do. <laughs> but I do know that there are people in Cork, some of your listeners, who we might be able to help. So, like, you know, we, 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 we have stories about travel, we have stories about cars. I'd like to hear stories from people who've bought white goods, people who've bought fridges or dishwashers or washing machines that don't work as they should, or people who've placed orders for furniture and when it has come, it hasn't really panned out as they'd hoped. Um, and I, I, I think we could help some of those people. Now, the key thing is, obviously, somebody who comes on the show has to appear on the show. So they have to be prepared to go on the telly. That's not for everybody. Some people don't want to do that. Some people are more comfortable talking to you on radio. Some people are more comfortable talking to me in print, whatever it might be. But it it is a really exciting programme, I think. And it's starting on March the 7th and it's called the Complaints Bureau. And the reason why I think it's exciting is I don't think there's been a programme like this in Ireland. Because in the Irish Times, I tackle consumer queries and complaints, as you do on your show. But this is something that's doing it in a different way on the television. And our aim is basically the same as what I do in print and same as what you do on radio. We want to fix people's problems. Do you deal, and of course you'll notice more and more these days, the amount of people that are being ripped off and scammed or can't get a job finished or hassled with a builder or trying to get a refund, stuff like that. Absolutely. And some of the some of the most terrible stories that we deal with and highlight have to do with builders um, and have to do with people who have been egregiously let down by, by, by big, big companies who should know better. And one of the things that when you were talking to Eva and Paul there a few minutes ago, you were, ta- you were pointing out that for many people, the difficulty is making contact with the company. Oh, because the rea- and I see yeah. this every no, no. single day. No, no. The reality is that people, generally speaking, who work for these companies, they're not bad people. People really, you know, people tend to be want to do the right thing. But unless you get, unless you can get through to the right person, you can find yourself really struggling to have a problem. With but them. more and more, and I, the websites don't have phone numbers anymore. They just don't. There's nobody to speak to. Yeah, but what, yeah, absolutely. One of the things that really kills me, and it's like I've been doing this in the Irish Times and and, and in other forums uh, for nearly twenty years now, and one of the things that really bugs me every single day is how easy it is for me 
to fix somebody's problem. Somebody can be banging their head against a wall for weeks or months or in some cases years and they just cannot get any kind of redress. Whereas one phone call or email from the Irish Times or RTE or Red FM or whatever it might be and bingo, the problem is resolved. Yeah, but not if a lot of people have been, not if a lot of people have been caught and uh, we we saw that recently with with Cabana. This has to do with hot tubs and saunas and garden offices and log cabins and stuff because they went into liquidation but left a trail of misery of hundreds of thousands in deposits and unfinished work and you know that's a dead end isn't it? It can be it can be but at the same time I think when a company goes into liquidation there are avenues that people can explore so let's say for instance a company goes into liquidation and you've paid 1500 euros or 2000 euros for a washing machine that hasn't been delivered it's very important to note that the very first thing you have to do when that company goes into liquidation is you have to contact your bank or your credit card company and say, I want to instigate a chargeback procedure against this company. Because let's say, just give you a hypothetical example. Let's say I bought a fridge from uh, Neil Prendival Fridges. Yeah. Okay. Um, and I bought it three months ago. And then I hear that Neil Prendival Fridges has gone out of business and they have my money. Like, the instinctive response might be to think, oh, well, that's it, I'm snookered now. There's nowhere I can go. There is a place you can go. You could contact your bank and say, the fridge company has gone out of business. I paid for my fridge with my credit card. I want you to instigate a chargeback. But the key thing about that is there are very clear time limits in which you can instigate a chargeback. And the bank then has to give you back your money and the bank pursues uh, the, the, the fridge company to get the money back from them. So there are avenues that people can explore. Now you mentioned the, the, the hot tub and the, and, 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 and the log cabins and things. You, you actually did very good. I saw it. I saw it on television. You actually drilled in a lot into garden furniture, garden offices, and log cabins. Once, that's right. you? yeah, that's right. Yeah, there was a program on, and it was a different program. It was Conor Pope's Consumer Nine Nine Nine. That was called. I didn't insist on having my name in the title, but they went for it anyway. <laughs> um, and but uh, but but this, I, I think, what, what's what's interesting about this program is. We're going to deal with three different problems every week. So I deal with one, Amy Malloy deals with one, and Siobhan McGuire deals with one. And we're, we're, the presenter is Owen McGee, who a lot of your listeners will be familiar with. So we get through a lot of material every single week, but we are lacking one, maybe two stories. Yeah. And we've dealt, we have more than 20 already finished, done and dusted. And that's why I, I, I'm, I, I'm on the phone to you now. I'd love to hear from some of your listeners who might who might have said to themselves, listen, I'll go to Neil Prendival and then they'll think, do you know what, maybe I'll go to Conor Pope. Totally, no, I have, I have no problem with that. So, like, I mean, because you also do things like, say, for instance, the horror of cosmetic surgery going wrong or exactly. a, a, wed, exactly. a wedding disaster where those that were providing all of the services just didn't deliver, things like that, yeah? Exactly, and it's a, it's a really broad range of issues. So it's everything from those cosmetic procedures, to travel disasters, to cars not functioning as they should, to builders letting people down, to, you know, as I say, white goods being delivered or not being delivered or not functioning as they should. So what we want to do really is cover anything that consumers are impacted by in a negative way. And we want to help people. And I think that's what your show does. That's what I do in the Irish Times. It's a resource that people can draw on. Now, admittedly, we can't deal with dozens and dozens of queries every single week. No, you can't. But we can deal with some. But are you, you're probably aware that the CCPC, and this is just in a six-month period last year, had 1.4 million visits to their website. So yeah. you'd have to accept that companies make it difficult for people to get things fixed and sorted. They just do it. I am absolutely... 
Well, I'm absolutely convinced, Neil, that it's part of their business model in some instances to make it so difficult for somebody to make contact with them that they hope the person just goes away. Because a lot of these companies, and you could, I could point the finger at dozens of them, you know, but the list you called out, you know, that's a fairly accurate representation of the companies that I might hear, uh, I might hear complaints about. A lot of the time, I think companies make it so difficult for you to contact them that they just hope you go, go away. away. Yeah. They yeah. invest a lot of yeah. money in bringing in new business and they don't invest enough money in customer care. Now, I would argue that what you should do is you should invest more money in customer care. Because there was that old cliche in times past that if you had good customer, customer service, you told one person, and if you had That's bad, it. you told 10. Yeah, yeah. Nowadays, if you have bad customer service, you can tell 100 or 1,000 or 10,000 people in an instant using various social media platforms or programs like yours or the Irish Times or RTE. So there are multiple ways that people can complain. And I think it is a moral imperative as well as a financial imperative for companies to simply do better when it comes to providing customer care. And the key thing is to providing people are giving empowering the people on the front lines, the people in the customer care department, to do the right thing. Because too often, the customer care people, they're the ones on minimum wage, they're the ones who aren't given any authority to make any decisions outside of a certain number of box-ticking exercises that they have to complete, and that's the end of the story. And you and I both know that that's not good enough, because you you need to train your staff, you need to empower them, and you need to give them the authority to be sound, because but, ultimately that's what it comes down to. But yet, I see that Amazon seem to get it so right, don't they? They have this return and refund policy. It's very straightforward. In fact, maybe the online sector is getting it better with regards to sale and return, are they? Now, Amazon does do that stuff really well. And I, I've never had an issue myself with with an Amazon delivery. And if, 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 sorry, if an Amazon delivery goes wrong, they fix it in a heartbeat. But they do spend a lot of money on that. But yeah. you have to remember, Neil, that they have a lot of money to spend. They do. That's one of the yeah. biggest companies on the planet. Yeah. But they are very good at that. And there are some outlying companies. There are some companies that do really well. But ultimately, I think it does come down to the people at the very top of these companies making it part of their mission statement that they will do the right thing and that they will look after their customers because the customers are ultimately the ones who keep them in business. And I think Amazon were very quick to recognise this going back 20 years or nearly in the late 1990s that unless they had a good reputation for customer service, they would be dead in the water. And they really focused on that. Okay, so if people want to get in touch, how can they do so? Well, there's a, a very simple email email address. It's consumer at indiepix.ie. So that's consumer at indiepix.ie. That's I-N-D-I-E, pix.ie. So we'd love to hear from some of your listeners and we'd love to try and help them address some of the problems that they have. Okay. But they do have to go on the telly. Because so, um, so, it starts to air on the 7th of March, doesn't it? It does. It start, it's on at, I think, at 7 p.m. on March 7th, and it'll be it'll run throughout the springtime. And well, you know what? I think I think it's going to be a really good program. Don't you I'm worry at all. Because I'm in it. Don't you? Well, it will be good because you're in it. But don't you worry at all about Cork people wanting to go on the telly. They certainly <laughs> will. We're not shy in that regard. <laughs> Based on the telly. I'm glad to hear that. Can't, I can't wait to see it, and I'll direct as much traffic your way as I can, Connor. Thanks for stopping by. Thanks a lot, Neil. Good luck Take with care. the show. Bye Connor Pope, Consumer Affairs Correspondent with the Irish Times. The show is called The Complaints Bureau, and they want to hear from Cork people so if it could be feel ripped off scammed 
struggling for a refund, battling with a builder, an extension, something you bought that was broken or faulty, anything, wedding disasters, could even be online shopping, whatever the case may be, health or housing or tech or travel or motoring. Get in touch. And you can do so by emailing consumer at indiepix.ie. The Neil Prenderville Show on Red FM. Conversation that matters. Just updating you on events on Leaside. We already told you of a serious crash uh, in the city this morning. I'm reading from an update in Cork Bureau this morning. A serious crash in the city this morning has brought traffic to a standstill on the South Link. Emergency services were on the scene. They were, treating, they were dealing, uh, paramedics were dealing with one person at the scene. Now we're hearing of another major crash on Patrick Street following a collision between, it seems, a truck and a car. You've got emergency responders there, ambulances are there uh, and are still there as we speak and there's major traffic delays because you can't get in and out and people have to find different routes and what have you. One eyewitness is that a car coming from the Grand Parade hit a parked van and a delivery truck. Somebody else was telling us that the car was on the wrong side of the road. I don't know. Only time will tell in that regard, but I hope that there's no serious injuries um, in either of those incidents on Lee side this morning. And then we talk about consumer-related issues, as we do, and chatting with Connor Pope. And there's somebody who wants to come back uh, from Boston home for a little visit, wondering if your listeners would know of any vacation destinations in Ireland. I'm living in Boston. I'll be home with my partner and two kids for Easter. And we cherish our time at home with the family. Um, but apparently while home... They want to do a little staycation with the family, right? They were looking at apartments at the Glen Eagle in Killarney uh, where they previously stayed, but they're unavailable. Um, and you're going to find them much harder this summer now to find places, lads. You really are. So they looked at uh, centre parks in Longford, uh, but they said that it's quite pricey. It's €3,898 per four-bed lodge. Now, forgive me, hands in the air here. Is that for two weeks, would you say, the four grand for the lodge would be for a fortnight. I don't know, I'm assuming it is for a fortnight. Good God, the two of them would cost eight grand because they need two of them. He says, when you compare that, our trip home, and this is flying all of them home, is only €1,700 by comparison. Um, And instead of perhaps doing something like that when they come back from Boston, they're thinking of going to Portugal because they said we discovered flights to Portugal for €150 return per person and an apartment for the entire period that will take us all for €700. So you can see how we're so out of kilter. And I know that there are some reasons why cost of living, wages, sunshine, tourism industry is massive in your Portugal's and and Spain's. I get that. But by God almighty, there's a massive difference there, isn't there? There really and truly is. I don't know. I mean, you'll never go along. I always say you'll never go wrong along the west coast of Ireland. And that could be from, you know, West Cork. No disrespect to East Cork. Don't get me wrong there. But along Kerry, up into Clare, Galway up into the likes of Mayo and, and Sligo and Donegal and stuff like that. I think it's the loveliest part of Ireland. East Cork's gorgeous too. So I'd say from East Cork all the way up to Donegal and Sligo, um, that's where the best of Ireland is. And if you're listening to me from Boston, you know, that's where I'd be looking at if I were you. We had lots then on different topics over the past couple of days, including gambling. Talked to Pat Sheedy in his book yesterday. Governments license gambling and therefore they must take responsibility for people's gambling addictions. Same thing as tobacco and alcohol. Our supermarkets these days are like casinos. Sometimes you can barely get near the checkout to buy groceries because of all of the lotto games and scratch cards played by people stuck in your face. It shows how evil and detrimental the internet can be with countless websites 
um, for fools who gamble says Pat. Uh, your caller who wrote the book, his money offences must have been very serious if he ended up in Port Leash prison as it's only high security in the state. No, the reason he had to go to Port Leash was because he put on nearly 30 stone in weight and uh, his movement was so limited he couldn't go up and down the stairs. So it was serious enough though. I mean, he did scam uh, an awful lot of people and he did take an awful lot of money and he behaved very dishonestly but it's all in the book for you to read yourself anyway we'll come back to lots more texts and emails between now and midday I'll get as much done as I can but I did mention earlier on this morning the sad passing of the managing director of T.W. Murray John O'Connell and was working away up to the age of 91 at Murray's Murray's goes back years and years but forgive me I know somebody who knows an awful lot more about it than I ever would and that's our uh, first citizen the Lord Mayor of Cork Councillor Kieran. McCarthy, uh, who loves his city, fine Cork historian. He joins me by phone. Lord Mayor, good morning. Yeah, hi Neil. Sad, hi Neil, how you sad doing? news, a great age, but yeah. sad news nonetheless. Uh, yeah, sincere condolences to, to his family and friends. Yeah, I mean, there's, you know, the, the, the word institution has been kind of across the media this morning, across the newspapers, and I have to say John was an institution, and sure, I think all of us. I've been to T.W. Murray's over the years for something, especially you know, myself, spent much of my youth in there getting fishing tackle and going fishing with my father and all of that in early years. And yeah, I know that there was kind of a piece of cork that, that died over the last kind of 24 hours. Um, and I suppose, about, yeah, I, I'm seeing actually the last few weeks and months, there's actually been, there's loads of interviews that was actually done with John. So I mean, did he, the story is written down. Did he take over the business rather than see it close down? So what I get, what I'm, I suppose what I get got from some of the oral history work done with him over the years, in which there seems to be much about it. So it's, it's great that John did several interviews across national newspapers and local newspapers. So anyone ever doing research for the future will be able to research T.W. Murray's and how it came into being. So it looks like 1828, so nearly 200 years ago, that um, there was a family called Richardson had it. And then there was a family called the Murray family. And then there was an O'Keefe family. And then John's father seems to have it like 1940s. And John said in an interview that he took it over the 1950s. So geez, John must to be overseeing it like for over 70 years um, and then there's, there's loads of different other stories as well about how it was raided during the war of independence and elements like that and, did, they, yeah, did the IRA took, the, took, uh, took guns and explosives out of the place I think did they? Yeah yeah so from my, from my own research uh, the IRA e-company that were kind of based across Blackpool and the city centre those were 120 members and they were constantly kind of raiding the docks and the steam packet office and kind of anything across the city that might actually sell chemicals for so they were using the chemicals to create explosives um, in some of the some of the bomb factories across yeah. the city yeah. and then they were looking for guns as well so I think between raiding the docks and raiding T.W. Murray so yeah I was actually I, I took an opportunity this morning to go into the to the Bureau of Military History Neil which is online which is a treasure trove of witness statements from like, from over 100 years ago where people were interviewed in the 1940s and what's your memories and sure when you start getting into like, when you put in Cork City the amount of witness statements that comes up is crazy but it's really really interesting kind of material um, to see what life was so like this is, does, well. so the, but this this business originated with the Richardsons pre-famine 1828 it would be one of the oldest and it's yeah. listen it's still there don't get me wrong yeah. but it would be one of the oldest yeah, yeah. businesses yeah, I'd say so. I mean, we always talk about Cash's slash Brown Thomas. We always talk about Roaches Stores, Debenhams, um, and whatever the new the new iteration of Debenhams will be in the in the years in the, in the year to come. Yeah, 
Um, I'd say so. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, T.W. Murray's probably around its 1840s, 1850s. But a lot, so, a yeah, lot, a lot quieter. I think they would admit themselves. Actually, there's a lovely story in the Echo that Donald O'Keefe talks about Con about the about the late John O'Connell, where he says that he loved nothing better than seeing young fellas coming in with their sandwiches to buy a few bits and bobs to go off for a day's fishing. I thought that was a lovely picture to paint. Yeah, it was like just a treasure trove of a shop. So you'd probably go in there looking for, I remember going in there like you'd be looking for a, a hook or a line and all of a sudden you'd come out with something else like a, a knife or something. It was like, for all of us that loved a good old adventure story, I, I think the shop itself was a manifestation of that just good old, it, it was a massive treasure trove of different kind of objects. Um, I'd say now he's probably given many people great, great, great memories over the years that people went in, they bought their they bought their their first fishing rod and they went off then with, with family or guardians or family had great days and made great memories and to, in one sense John was kind of part of the creation of those memories and kind of working with people kind of going what are you what sort of rod are you looking for what are you starting off with we all have great memories like that you know Neil so no sincere condolences it's like it's in a yeah, another little piece of, of, of Cork history, I suppose, that has, has, has passed away. But, uh, Lots of tributes. May rest in peace is right, in fairness to him, and long may it continue, Maurice. Um, thank you for that tribute. It's it's always sad to hear, um, you know, it, yeah. it's just awfully sad. It was it was a great age, I understand that, but it's always sad at the passing. Listen, just just quickly, um, there, is there any update? Because somebody asked me the other day about the, the famine graveyard up on Cars Hill, uh, there was a, a takeover, wasn't there? I, don't, I hope to, I'm not springing this on you, but wasn't it a case that the council took it over from from the HSE and that work's going to be done to give it the TLC it deserves? Is there any news on that? Uh, no, there's a conservation plan being drawn up. Um, I think the document, the formal document, was only signed in the last couple of weeks. So, I mean, there would have been the press report of handover, but I think the formal documents have only done the last few weeks. Um, I mean, I do know, like, we're, we're very blessed. We've got a fantastic um, executive archaeologist, Kira Brett, who really loves her history and archaeology in the city as well. I know she's working close. Once or twice, she is a dinger. Yeah, she's very good. Yeah, yeah. yeah so, so no, it. I mean, I, I, I'm like for like for me as as Lord Mayor, I'm happy that the right people are working on it, and and I'm like you know I get messages the whole time from people kind of going when will the access be improved and, and, and also when will I suppose new uh, interpretive panels go in to, to make sure that we, we, we mention the I suppose the modern baby home babies that are buried there as well I mean, that's all planned scale. but you know uh, no, there's no time scale as such is that your answer to the question no, no yeah yeah there's a conservation plan um, and also trying to create safe access I mean I, I suppose the the creation of the motorway is actually ongoing there at the moment as well around that area. So hopefully the motorway will kind of take f- traffic away from okay. the very busy Okay, well, do stay in touch with this update. Uh, and v- yeah, absolutely yeah. very finally, and I appreciate you coming on and talking about Murray's and, and the late Mr O'Connell, but the fireman's rest could go over 300 grand. How does that sit with you? Uh, the cost doesn't sit with me, but I suppose uh, the last 10 years has been the decade of commemoration. So perhaps maybe what's, what's not in the press is that I suppose this is central government funding that has kind of come in over the space of 10 years and Cork City Council has been putting aside um, sums of money. Um, So, I mean, the council was asked, what what legacy would you like out of the decade of commemoration? And the majority of members kind of have gone for the restoration of the firemen. Yeah, but if they hadn't Uh, left it, I mean, it's not as if people weren't banging on about it for the last 20 years. If they hadn't left left it to go to rack and ruin, will we get get a full breakdown of that cost right down to the last cent? yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, look, I was one of the people kind of banging on the, hanging for many, many decades on please mind our heritage because eventually then you have to invest more money in it. So um, I hear you. I hear you. Um, 
So we know there'll be there'll be a breakdown and there'll be a formal okay. opening and so on. Okay. The fire brigade will be involved in the heritage of the fire, fire brigade and so on. Um, okay, but, let's watch yeah, this space. Yeah, and there'll be a fuller story. Yeah, watch that space. I know your researcher is, is tic-tacking with me as well. So Appreciate it, Lord Mayor. Thanks so much for taking the yeah. call. Much obliged as yeah, always. Uh, Councillor Kieran McCarthy, Lord Mayor of Cork. Just going back, of course, to the sad passing uh, of John O'Connell, the man at the helm of T.W. Murray, took it over from his own dad and before that, going all the way back to 1828 when the Richardson's family, long may it continue incidentally and go and celebrate its uh, 200th anniversary and many more years afterwards. But just by WhatsApp, Kevin Daly from the Lee Angler Salmon Club, sorry, the Lee Salmon Anglers Club to get it correctly. So sad news, Kevin, I'm sure he's a man you knew well. I did indeed, very sad this morning. I was actually in the shop on Wednesday morning when the news broke and uh, it's a really sad day but I mean John was an absolute institution he really really was and the the man had an incredible brain he had incredible wisdom and intelligence and one of the things that people may forget there was a rod war here in Ireland in 1989 the then uh, Minister Brendan Daly from County Clare attempted to bring a, a rod licence for all anglers, especially trout anglers. And there was massive opposition to this. And John O'Connell was one of the people that led that opposition. And what happened then was that there was a rod strike and the rivers were closed, the lakes were closed, people um, didn't go fishing, it had a knock-on effect for the hospitality industry and there was absolute border. This was during the Hawhey government. Never knew that was a way for all of that, in fairness. Yeah. And, and yeah. did the defeated, yeah. did people power, he was front and centre to all that. He defeated it. He was front and centre to it. And I said this to his son, George, the other day. Um, there was letters that he wrote. He did interviews on radio. And, I, you know, I can still remember reading those letters that he wrote to the national press and, and everything else. And it, there, there was the barrister in the country could have written those letters. They were so <laughs> precise and so fantastically. And the arguments were brilliant. And John was actually central to the negotiations and finding okay. a solution. Okay. Did he fish and, himself? Uh, did he fish himself, though, I wonder, Kevin? I actually never remember him fishing as such. <laughs> No, he possibly he did, but I don't actually remember him fishing. But he had great knowledge of the firearms acts, um, because obviously Boris still sells guns. He had fantastic knowledge. But um, during the rod, the, the rod war, um, there was an incident where the bishop uh, became an intermediary between the two sides. I can't think of his name. And well, he went to Charlie it was either, High. It was, either, it was either Connie Lucy or um, Michael no, Murphy. No, it wasn't the Cork Bishop. Mur- it was, oh, wasn't it? Okay. No. Okay. Okay. It wasn't the Cork Bishop. It was, it was a national campaign. And the bishop came up with a solution. And he took it to Hahi and Hahi agreed to it. But Brendan Daly threatened to resign. And Hahi kicked it to touch. And then there was more negotiations. And then Minister John Wilson came on board. And he hatched a plan, which was a way to sidestep the whole thing, whereby trout anglers in particular could buy into a share scheme, but it was entirely voluntary. And <laughs> it, just, it was an Irish solution to an, an Irish, Irish problem. Solution as well. <laughs> and this is, and it, 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 it. And it, Murray's continues to be popular, does it? It's still a popular pastime for people. I was in there last year with a chap, a friend of mine who wanted to buy a reel for, for a young fella. And, yeah. and, and there was like, there must have been, I don't know, 300, 400, 500 different rods in there. Absolutely, absolutely. I would have purchased a new salmon fly rod myself there last year um, from his son George. And they are absolutely top class. And it is more than just a shop. I mean, it is an institution. I, our own club WhatsApp group here now, 
you'd want to see the, the, the comments on it, you know, since the news broke. You know, everybody's so good in their in their memories yeah. of John O'Connell and he really was an institution. Yeah. He'll never be replaced. Yeah. And his you know, his son George works in there, his daughter Gina, and they're fantastic as well. But he just had that extra special knowledge and wisdom that people are brought with you kind of educate people. And for advice that, you know? uh, the advice oh, and yeah, wisdom, totally. yeah, yeah. The rod that suits Absolutely. you, the reel that suits you, the lure that suits yeah. you, the hook that suits you, the bait that suits you. I hear you, man. I hear you. Well said. Exactly. Nice words. Absolutely. Th- thanks so much, Kevin Daly, Lee Salmon Anglers Club, in tribute to the late John O'Connell from T.W. Murray. Back after the break, text 0868 104 106. Call Neil now. 0818 104 106. The Neil Prenderville Show on Red FM. Okay, text 0868 I mentioned earlier on emergency services in the city. One crash on the South Link and then another one on, on Patrick Street. Uh, Cork Bureau report on this and Thomas Lawrence is a journalist with Corkbio and might well have been on the scene at one stage this morning. Thomas, good morning. What can you tell us about Patrick Street to begin with? Hello, Neil. Um, yes, I uh, attended the Patrick Street scene shortly after the crash, so I was there afterwards. Um, it looked like a car was driving down from the Grand Parade direction and according to an eyewitness who did see it happen, it uh, struck off a parked van before smashing into a delivery truck uh, just outside Brown Thomas at the pedestrian crossing there. Um, so thankfully no pedestrians were hurt or anything like that. Okay, okay, because um, there was unconfirmed reports earlier on that there may have been a pedestrian hit. Did it veer across the road or because or, there was revving heard? You, you don't know? There were, yeah, the, the eyewitness told me she heard revving, which made her look to the left and she saw the car coming. Um, and it did strike the van first and then it must have, from the way the delivery van was positioned near Brown Thomas, the car must have come across the road uh, to hit the front of it, yeah. Okay, um, so car hits, delivery truck, van, careers across the road. Anybody hurt in the in the car? Was it one person or was there a passenger as well? Well, it looks like there was a, a driver and a passenger, yeah. Uh, passenger was out first talking to emergency services. They were... Uh, conscious and sitting in a chair um, and then the driver was taken away later in a stretcher, yeah. Okay, okay. Now, it's a very busy morning. Hopefully the the injuries aren't too aren't too serious. There was another one then on the, the south link, wasn't there? Yeah, it looked like that happened a few minutes previously, yeah. Uh, we were already covering that one when the news of the Patch Street one came in. That would have been at the Elysian end of it. Again, That's emergency right. services. Yeah, near the boring manner... Yeah, That's yeah. right, near the Borough Manor Road turn-off, as far as I know. So paramedics dealing with inj- with injuries on the scene there. I hope it's not too serious. Yeah, there, there were definitely um, emergency services there, that's right. Um, and then, obviously, there were at least four fire engines here on Patrick Street as well. Okay. Ambulance crews on the scene, treating injuries. Yeah. Yep, ambulance scenes and guards, of course, as well. Okay. And is it still an issue there for traffic and what have you? Uh, yeah, uh, only maybe 15 minutes ago, traffic was turned away. There were uh, there was um, buses, two, the 208, 214, having to do U-turns back towards Grand Parade. And now right. okay. uh, it looks like Patrick Street is still clear. Yeah, okay. While, okay. while they assess the scene, and the wreckage is quite bad. So oh, my God, bad crash. Clear away. Okay, listen, yeah. I'm glad that you were on the scene. And thank you for updating us. I do appreciate it. That's Thomas Lawrence, journalist with uh, Corpio. Hope everybody will be okay. Text 0868 104 106. Pick up the phone on 0818 104 106. Just reminding you again, we've got live music to play us out in studio again this morning. George Murphy, all the
the way down from Dublin. Came to fame during You're a Star in, in, 20, in 2003 and 2003. He was only 17 at the time. Had a great solo career, four studio albums, toured with the, the High Kings. Remember he did the, wasn't it the Raglan Road version, his version of Luke Kelly with an incredibly powerful voice. So he's playing us out in studio with a couple of songs this morning because he's playing the Opera House on Saturday night. We'll tell you more about that this side of midday. We also talking about the Opera House just before quitting time today. Five sets of tickets for a gig on March the 2nd to mark the 50th anniversary of the release of Dark Side of the Moon. And the Pink Floyd Experience are in the middle of a nationwide tour and play Cork and the Opera House on the 2nd of March. So I'll give away double passes for that just before midday uh, as well. Um, and it'll cost you nothing, unlike the television licence. And the big response from people with regards to the carry-on within Golden Handshakes being the latest one in RTE. I listened to you in Portugal. Nobody has to pay a television licence in their own home. The only people who have to pay the licence are pubs and restaurants. And people go down to watch matches there to support the pubs and restaurants. But nobody pays a television licence in their own home. Wouldn't it be great to have the Portuguese model. Here's a bizarre one from somebody involved in the hotel business for many, many years. In hotels, no matter how many TVs are in the property, they only pay one television license. For example, there could be 100 bedrooms, all with televisions, and only one license required, says Liam, which is astonishing because it's not as if every single room has to watch the same channel all at the same time. So it's 100 different bedrooms with 100 different people watching whatever television channels they want, but only one license. I paid my TV license fee in January 2020. I was 70 in April 2020 and exempt from the license fee thereafter. But in ignorance, I continued to pay it. I paid it in 21. 22 and 23. By only listening to your show in the middle of 2023, I heard a comment relating to my exemption entitlement and I made a call. It resulted in a refund of the 23 fee only because you must make the claim within a six-month period. The government wants the RTE lady, Breed O'Keefe, to refund the 450 grand, but they won't refund me, a pensioner. The 320 euro, which I was not liable for, but paid for in ignorance. Just a thought. Well, it, it is wrong. It really and truly is. They should do the right thing. But I think you'd have to you'd have to drag them stre- screaming and roaring to get that money back out of them. Maybe it's a maybe it's a one for Connor Pope and the new TV show. And then one final one for now, and we'll go back then. Oh, I'm just actually seeing the damage on uh, Patrick Street here from that crash with regarding that car. Oh my God, the car is in a shocking state. The whole front of it is absolutely caved in. There's a panel remaining on it. Uh, There's fierce damage done as well to the side of the road. And the speed it must have hit that van. It must have been absolutely racing across the road. And it looks as if it did come across and career across the road because the damage to the front of the van could only be done if... I mean, I'm not a forensic... Um, person in any way, shape or form to investigate a car crash but the damage to the front of the car and the front of the van it's very, very bad I really hope that everybody is okay Just finally, um, on the €808,000 that was spent on bringing in Ukrainian pets uh, Tony says there are two very important issues that are not being discussed One is the €808,000 allocated for Ukrainian pets. Leo denied knowledge of this in the doll while a question was put to him. He said, it's the first I've heard of it. 
which is weird actually because it's been in the papers for like at least four or five days. An absolute disgraceful remark from the leader of the country to make. The second one is, did you know that 22 kids went and are still missing from the care of Tusla in January alone? That's 22 children missing and Tusla and this government don't know where they are. They could be danger or worse. What did people vote for to govern our country? Can't come on the air, but love the show, says Anthony. Thank you for that. Keep those texts coming. Text 0868 104 106. We've got calls on the way. We've got Audrey, Sarah and Gina all standing by. The Neil Prenderville Show on Red FM. Conversation that matters. Certainly do. Conversations that matter. Get involved in the Neil Prenderville Show with Mercedes-Benz Cork. Text 0868 104 106. Pick up the phone on 0818 104 106. We've got Sarah on line one. And this is our fifth and final four-star Metropole Hotel giveaway, guys. So we're trying to squeeze in as much as we can between now and midday. So, Sarah... It's an extraordinary yes. story. Give me, uh, give me, give me the background to this, if you will. You met your husband on plenty of fish in the early days, was it? I did. It was 2009. Um, I was not long home from Australia, New Zealand, doing my travelling, mm-hmm. and um, a friend of mine just suggested I, I go on and get back out there. Right. And I did, and I met him, and we eventually caught up. It, we it failed a few times. But um, we moved in with each other after about six weeks. But hang on, but hang on. when you met, James already had three kids and there was a bit of argy-bargy with your mammy, yeah. was there? Yeah, well, because he had three kids, she said no. <laughs> and, and everybody said, listens to their mammy. Well, she's very old-fashioned and I can understand where she was coming from. She was worried for me, but I I ignored her and she said, get out, shall I move in with him? She told you to get out. Fun. She told me she said pack a bag, yeah. Really? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she didn't speak to me for about six months. <laughs> and she didn't actually meet James for nine years. <laughs> Forgive me. <laughs> I'm just I'm absolutely <laughs> stuck for work. What Was it that she didn't want you to have to take on the responsibility of, three, yeah. of somebody's three children, is it? Yes, yeah, yeah. So she told you to pack I a bag? I that. She did. She said, pack bag and get out. And I did. And so, luckily he said, move in with me. Right. And I did. And we haven't looked back since. But I, I, pardon me for staying in this section of the conversation. <laughs> Six months later, you, you did start talking to your mother again, is it? Yeah, but she wouldn't. I couldn't talk about him. She just completely ignored the fact that I had a relationship. Like, it was like a, a part of my life that was, it didn't exist to her. And did she not yeah. meet him for nine years? Nine years. It was because I got pregnant. She had to eventually. <laughs> how did how did they get on uh, when your mother? What, actually, again, here's another text. You don't give me your. Oh, it's James. When your mom met James, yeah. how did they get on? Um, she. You could tell she was a bit. She was. She was. It was forced from her. You know, but um, he he's, he helps out a lot with dad. He does a lot for her, and he, she absolutely adores him now. Oh my God! Did she ever kind of say, you know, I regret the way I handled it back then? No disrespect to your mother no. in the last nine years. No, she'll never she'll never admit it, and we don't bring it up. It's like it never happened. Except you're bringing it up on live radio this morning. I know. She doesn't, she doesn't listen to the station, so I think I'm safe. She's good taste. She, she doesn't listen to me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. That's an incredible story. Yeah. <laughs> so we have two kids now. So five five altogether. I took on his three. We have two of our own now. 
and we're together 14 and a half years. <laughs> Never looked back. Oh my God! Some some of the stories this week are just off the charts. Stay, stay, stay listening, Sarah. Will you? I just want to see if I can squeeze in Gina and hopefully Audrey. We'll see how we get on. Gina. Hello. Okay. So it was. Oh, it was a cork. Was it at a cork con match? It was. You were at a cork con match. Was it? No, no, no. Oh, was no. it a Christian's prayers? We met in Carcon on New Year's Eve. Didn't meet again until after the Christmas prayers game. Okay, was he playing? Was he playing? He wasn't. Not at that stage. He had. He was good. He was in college. Uh-huh. Okay. Just out of college. He, he but that was like nearly fifty years ago, was it? 49 years ago. But there's a connection to the Metropole, not just you, but I believe your parents and things like that. Is that right? My parents had their wedding reception there in 1954. And then we had our reception there. And then our daughter surprised us a few months ago saying, get her. So they're having their reception on the 30th of March. Oh, so you have right. three generations of three generations. electrical weddings, which I think is a big thing. It is very good. We're it very is. So your parents would have been like 1954, the wedding would it be? Yeah, yeah. And I know sadly your dad has sadly passed away, but your mom is still hearty yeah. at 93. She is. She's slightly unwell at the moment, but hopefully she'll be hale and hearty again. She's looking forward to it. She has her outfit, etc. Well, I tell you one thing, regardless of what happens this morning, the Metropole would love to meet your mother and you, and also if you had photographs. Photogra- because we, w- I we actually so. went in, we're on the wall. Yeah, I thought we you went would in yeah. This, yeah. Yeah. And uh, they had they were celebrating 100 years before they did up the hotel, and we went in, we were, it was lovely. And I have an aunt and uncle that has their wedding reception as well, so we're actually on, on the wall. Yet they're mad for intergenerational weddings and the stories behind them, they really and truly are. Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Four absolutely. generations going out, so it's very exciting. Four generations. But mum and dad's reception now, they're all allowed up on the roof. Imagine it. So their group photo is on the roof. Back in the day before health and safety put an end to all of that. Photo. Yeah, just like the airport, they closed the old yeah. fountain and stuff. But anyway. Lovely story. A lovely story. Yeah, intergenerational. Yeah, well, absolutely, and so you should be. And the Metropole would be delighted as well, maybe to welcome you back for afternoon tea or prosecco or something like that. But I mean, I can maybe you know maybe try and sort that out for you. Get on to Sandra and the gang there. But but do stay listening, Gina. My apologies if you don't mind. I want to get a quick one here for on WhatsApp from Audrey. Good morning. Hi, Neil. How are you? You know, it's it's better. It's it's harder to be um, the recipient of a gift than to somebody who's giving the gift because. You probably don't realise that even if you don't like it, the gift or the jewellery, you're not supposed to say that. I didn't. It was my face kind of said it all. We were, he, do you know, he was being so good because we had, the oldest fellow was minding the two smallies and he said, meet me inside Ryan's and we'll go for tea and a scone. So he brings you out for tea and scones. He buys you a necklace and earrings and you kind of make a, a face. Do you know what? The necklace was absolutely beautiful. And then I opened the box for the earrings and I was like, oh, um, they're nice. And he just looked at me and he was like, forget about it. I can take them back. And I was like, no, no, they're really nice. And I was like, I just looked over and I goes, there was a, there was a lovely woman working there. And she just, she was kind of eavesdropping into our conversation nicely. And I was like, the necklace is lovely, isn't it? She was like, yeah. And then um, she she just seen me open the box for the earrings and I showed her and she was like, um, yeah, they're okay. And then shot, my poor husband just goes, forget about it. I'm taking them back. And I was like, no, 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 please, I'll have them, I'll have them. And I felt so awful. 
and then she's I thought I'd be romantic back and decide I'll take you for dinner now just me and the or with the boys tonight you know and just make up for me not liking the gift and we went into Cork International Airport and sat there and one of the kids decided to get sick so it just Did ruined our Valentine's. That, yeah, but, no, you, ru- you ruined the Valentine's. You just put the kibosh on it. <laughs> Did you? Uh, but so geez, then I was left sitting at the, or sitting down eating the dinner with the youngest child and Sean went home then with the other child and the lovely lady inside the Cork International came over to me and she was like, do you want me to get you a cab home? And I was like, no, I'll just finish my dinner there with my son, <laughs> you know? And he's gone home then with the other child and well, I was... Please, what an only day. Please remember the next time somebody gives you a gift, receive it with a smile on your face and keep your mouth shut. <laughs> I, I had a smile, but it was just, it was my expression. Just, I don't know, it just said it all to him and he knew, you know, and I just felt heartbroken for him in the end. And I just messaged him after he went, to, went back to work and I was like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> Um, <laughs> At least you I'll had have a surprise later to, to make up for it. All right, okay, all right. Okay, stay listening. I don't think I'm going to get much more done because we've only got a few minutes left and I want to get a couple of tunes on air. Four Star Metropole Hotel in the heart of the Victorian Court. We need to pick a winner on this one, guys. The overnight stay for four at the Metropole. So you'll get treats on arrival in your bedroom and then dinner for two in the Met Bar and Restaurant. Enjoy a delicious breakfast the following morning in the Riverview Dining Room Hotel. So we will, in the Riverview Dining Room. So we'll pick that around about five minutes to midday. And also, we have some other tickets to give away for gigs at the Opera House but as I mentioned earlier on in studio George Murphy um, and again thank you to Owen Hennessy and Live Music Promotions uh, in studio although I see I see two here so do your own introductions George I recognise welcome to Cork man how are you good and Thanks you for having me Neil and you got some accompaniment with you have you got oh, I do this is my pal Conor O'Sullivan with me here today ok so how's life been Good man, yeah, not a bother. We're uh, just about to embark on a nationwide tour, so uh, yeah, we're starting in uh, the Cork Opera House now on Sunday. So uh, you, you can add a couple of tickets to give away. There You're the best well, man. Thanks want, for man. that. Listen, we'll chat in a few minutes. To chat in a few minutes time about life. So why don't we just get stuck into a song? Because if I use my time wisely, I can get two tunes out of you guys. Yeah, okay with that. Perfect. Okay, 100%. so what do you want to do? You're all set up to go. So um, Neil, I, I first heard this song of. Uh, it's an arrangement by Conor O'Sullivan who I'm uh, delighted to have here with me about 10 years ago and it's a great tune called uh, The Dewey Dens of Yarrow okay okay let's hear it and Conor's on guitar rock and roll One 
tomorrow He said you're nine And I am but one In that there's not much marrow But I will fight Ye man to man To gain the flower Of Yarrow So three slew And three withdrew And three lay deadly wounded When our brother John Stepped in between And he put his knife Right through him Brother dear, I dreamed a dream, a dream of duel and sorrow. I dreamed that you were spilling blood on the dewy dance of Yarrow. Oh sister dear, I read your dream and I fear it will bring sorrow. For you can seek your love at home. But he's sleeping sound in Yarrow. Oh, hold your tongue, my father dear, for I cannot help this sorrow. A flower like my own true love will never bloom in Yarrow. Super stuff. Never heard that one before. What a great story. Yeah. Well done, well done. So life's been good from what? 2000, if I remember, 2003 when you were what? About 17 years old, George? Exactly. Bang on, geez, fair play. Yeah. You're doing your homework. No, because yeah. the, we, all, we, all, we all kind of... It was one of those moments when time stood still and you did the Luke Kelly's uh, Raglan Road. Yeah, well, I mean, it's 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 hard to believe now that it's 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 over half a lifetime ago, you know, but with with this new band that I've, I've started up with now, the, the Rising Suns... Um, I'm getting to play some of these rooms like the Cork Opera House on Sunday for the first time. Now, I played there as a special guest of a few people, but I've never been the headline act, so it, it, it kind of feels like I'm only really reaping all the rewards for it now. You know, I mean, don't get me wrong, I had I had a nice career like back then when it all started and having a number one album. And, and then the High Kings and everything. Like all that. that kind of stuff, yeah, but, but it didn't feel at the time like I'd earned it Neil if that makes sense I mean it was all given to me on a plate I was 17 and had a number one album in the charts that came off the back of a reality TV show yeah. and it just it didn't feel like there was no sustainability or longevity in it then whereas you, now you tell me you didn't feel as if you'd earned it is it? Yeah well that, I, I didn't really earn it you know I mean there's people out there that are working at it for, for years and years and, and never get to taste what That's I got to taste after two minutes, it. you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So, I, I, but I feel this time around now with, with these lads that I, I, I started as a local session 
and you know, most of them have their day jobs. Like they don't. But what work. was the interest for you? Was it Irish ballads? Was it the was it the Dubliners or was it? I mean, I, I think I, I definitely went down that road, and I think that's that's what people's perception of me was. But my father is a singer, and, and I grew up steeped in music. But it was everything from the Beatles, Bob Dylan, Johnny Cash, yeah, Queen, yeah. as well as the that's Dubliners, world you know trend I mean? like. Yeah. So yeah. everything, you know, it yeah. wasn't just the Lou Kellys of this world. Like I kind of liked everything. And when I when I heard Connor's stuff as well, um, and I heard the Dewey Dens of Yarrow, I, I fell in love with it. That's his arrangement of the song. So myself and the Rising Sons have kind of taken that from his catalog and recorded it. So is that a big band then that you've got put together? Yeah, so it started as a session and there's eight of us on the road now, you know um, and we have uh, the brilliant uh, Trevor Sexton and Ger O'Donnell who I believe were in with you last week. Yeah, because we They're, were chatting about you then. It just came up in conversation and the yeah. lads told me, well George is in next week and yeah, I said, well, wow. They're, they're opening up the show now on, on Sunday and there's still there's still a few tickets left and two for your listeners if you want to do a giveaway. Okay, well people you know? can buy directly at the box, box office, either online or drop in, but we'll open the phone lines in a couple of minutes time. Can I get another tune out of you? a couple of seconds time just take just take a break there for a couple of seconds while I do a little bit more business before uh, I love people and leave people for the rest of the day I need to I need to pick a winner and I've laboured hard on this during the ad break (laughs) as to whom it should be and the stories are terrific don't get me wrong but one of them that blew me away completely um, was Anne Quirk's story about coming up to Cork from uh, Clonmel in 1987 and training uh, as a nurse in what was the Cork Regional Hospital the Wilton Hilton we used to call it at the time and sneaking a patient out with a let's say he had a broken leg and taking him into to Lacey House that was a great story you wouldn't get away with that now I'm saying you wouldn't get away with that now Anne Quirks you wouldn't no you wouldn't Neil friend of a low do you remember when it was called the Wilton Hilton <laughs> Oh yeah, that, that was a long time ago. Long time ago. All right. Well, listen, it's such a great story um, that oh. I've decided to give you the fifth and final giveaway. Forgive me, because oh, uh, I've spoken to so many people and I don't have it here. What's your husband's name again? Damien Quirk. Oh, okay. Damien. Well, make sure he doesn't fall down the stairs of the Metropole or anything like that and break or twist an ankle. <laughs> do you hear me? <laughs> we try not. All right. Thanks so much, Neil. Okay. Thanks well, you me. enjoy it, and thanks for sharing that story on so many different levels. It was great fun. <laughs> and enjoy the overnight. Enjoy dinner and breakfast, and enjoy the beautiful Metropole Hotel. All right. Thanks a million. You're very good. You're Thank so you. welcome. Thank Thanks, Anne. Thank you to everybody else. Now, I still have some texts left of different stories of people found love. And I don't want to waste them. So if I have an opportunity on Monday, I will re- will revisit at that point in time. Back after the break, we got George Murphy to play us out again with Connor. The Neil Prenderville Show on Red FM. Conversation that matters. And you get involved in the conversation, the Neil Prendival show with Mercedes Benz Ireland. George Murphy now has already strapped up a guitar. So we got kind of like almost like dueling banjos here, Conor O'Sullivan and George on guitar. What tune are you going to do for us now, my friend? Uh, a song I've just fallen in love with kind of singing over the last while. Uh, Neil, it's a great song by Leonard Cohen called So Long Marianne. Oh, that's a good one. Okay, so while you're doing that, I'm going to open the phone lines. We have two sets of tickets to give away for George and the band um, in the Opera House on Sunday night. George Murphy and the Rising Sun. So the phone lines are open. Callers 9 and 10. 0818104106. Come over to the window, my little darling. I'd like to try and read your palm. Gypsy boy Before I 
love to live with you You make me forget so very much I forget to pray Began to laugh and 
such a pretty one And I see you've gone and changed your name again And just when I've climbed that whole mountainside To Given people such a treat this morning. For somebody to even suggest that you haven't earned it, you are so wrong, man. You put your heart and soul into it. Ah, oh, thanks, Neil. Man, that's very nice of you to say. It's incredible. It's thanks, such man. an incredible thing to witness you at work. And Thank you so much, man. Well done, George. Well nice done. one, Neil. Well, well listen, if you're around on Sunday, you're more than welcome. Let's to see what on. we can do on Sunday. But uh, thank you for the tickets. Ronan Clark from Douglas says thank you. Kieran Madden from Waterfall says thank you. They'll be there. Whatever tickets are remaining are on sale at CorkOpperHouse.ie. Have a great gig, you and the Rising Suns. And Connor. Didn't know you were a Blarney man, so yeah, welcome yeah. back, man. Welcome back. What much. a great, what a great session we had this morning. Thanks so much, Neil. Thanks for having us on. Pleasure, and thanks to Connor. Absolutely yes. incredible. Wow, I'm going to have to sit down and recover from that. That was an amazing performance. That's a great gig on Sunday night, and don't forget also uh, that the Pink Floyd tribute gig is on March second, and I've got five sets. The, the George Murphy tickets are gone. We got five sets for the uh, Pink Floyd experience to give away now. Callers nine, ten, eleven, twelve, and thirteen. They play the Opera House for the fifty anniversary of the iconic album Dark Side of the Moon uh, I'll leave you with uh, that wonderful wonderful rendition of the old Leonard Cohen song by George and Connor. have yourselves a great weekend and I'll see you Monday When Court Talks Car people blow my mind They talk to Neil Prendeville On Red FM